You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome everyone to the Oz Network as we begin our <laughs> Terminator rewatch as for now and apparently it's rules that we start off every episode by one of the hosts humming the main tune. Um, I'm excited to be here to look at the 1984 blockbuster hit, well sort of at the time, uh, that was The Terminator. It spawned a huge blockbuster franchise that started the career of... Um, well, sort of Michael Bain. How do you say his name? Michael Bean? Bain? Um, Michael Bean. <laughs> Bean. Michael Bean. Continued the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Cameron and Linda Hamilton was a thing for a while. But uh, she still is a thing because she's amazing. <laughs> this is this is exciting. Uh, of course, we are getting prepared uh, for the lead up of the latest Terminator film. So let's get through all five of these before we have to do that. But let's get into this. I'm excited. My name is Ben. And first, I'm going to come in there and undo the buttons of your blouse one by one. And keep going if you want me to, but probably not. Ben! (laughs) She told me we're only going to be covering an episode. Um, My name is Colin, and Terminator is an infiltration unit. Part man, part machine. Underneath, it's a hyper-alloy combat chassis. Microprocessor controlled. Fully armored. Very tough. Outside, it's living human tissue. Flesh, skin, hair, blood. (laughs) Man, the quotes in this movie. (laughs) I thought you were just going to keep going. Um, You said half the script right there, I think. So... um... We yeah I'm I'm excited cuz I think we went into this into 2019 and we were like of course Star Wars it's the big thing we're going to do but um we we put it out there that uh you know we would do Terminator as well in the lead up to uh the the new Terminator that's coming out this year and it's it's a franchise that you know I don't know if I I hold it up in my top five franchises. I mean, it might be in my top 10, top 15, because it, it really is one of these franchises that I feel it's all over the place compared to some of the other ones that we like. And, you know, it's it's an interesting one to cover. But I guess at the end of the day, they're amazing films. Well, four of them are. Three of them, maybe. I don't know. Like, I've never seen the fifth one yet, so I can't tell you about Genesis. <laughs> I actually Ugh. like the fourth one. I actually like Salvation, so that would be interesting. Three's underrated. Two's one of the best films of all time, and one is a great film as well. So, The Terminator, here we are. Did you ever think we would be doing these films? Because it's just Arnie again. Arnie and James Cameron. So we ever bloody do on this show. <laughs> That's true. I didn't really thought of that. Uh, as of now, Arnold Schwarzenegger has now overtaken Tim Allen as the most covered person on the Oz Network, I believe. Uh, so <laughs> congratulations, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and many more to come. I'm sure we'll get to Total Recall one of these days. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of along the lines with you. I wouldn't consider this one of my favorite franchises of all time. I would put Terminator 2 up there as one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I like a lot of the others. I think we're both going to be... Uh, pretty big defenders of Terminator 3 in comparison to the opinions out there. But I feel like that's a movie that the, the worse the series got after that, the more people kind of went back and appreciated it. Uh, but I think even in rewatching this one, I'm kind of just seeing how much of what everybody loves about Terminator is too. Uh, and I'm not going to be knocking this movie during this, but you know, I actually saw this movie before I even saw Terminator 2. Um, and... I feel like a lot of it sort of gets mixed up and there's uh, this first movie. There's not 
as much here as I thought that there was. Um, and I do like this. I mean, just telling a little bit of history about seeing this, uh, you know, as a kid, my parents were pretty strict on what we watched. I remember if we saw, you know, a trailer for something or a commercial on TV and it said rated PG, it'd be like, can we see that movie? And my dad would be like, no, it's parental guidance. <laughs> <laughs> like, as he taught, taught us that that was like, that means you can't go. <laughs> like, no, that's not what it means. But yet we watched like, other PG movies like Back to the Future, you know, this was obviously R-rated movie. And, you know, m- um, when my dad died, my mom uh, had left us, uh, <laughs> left us, just period. Wow. She abandoned us. <laughs> Wait, that's dark don't child. anymore. Say you bye. This is Colin Hilding, Dark Fate, by the way. But she had left us for about a week. Not left us. I keep saying it the wrong way. <laughs> She had gone somewhere for a week and we stayed with one of our aunt and our cousins. And, um, you know, she was aware that like, oh, they can't watch anything unless it's, you know, Disney or whatever. <laughs> the very strict rules that uh, my parents had. Which just to interrupt and, you, uh, um, it's, it's a pretty, it's a shame you don't grow up in today's society because Disney owned everything. So you would have gotten away with it back then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is Disney, mum. They own it. <laughs> uh but I remember when she came back and it's like, oh, what'd you guys do? It's like, oh, we watched a couple of movies. Oh, which movies do you watch? I'm like, Terminator. And she's like, what? <laughs> Got pretty mad at my aunt for, you know, these kids aren't allowed to watch parental guidance movies, nothing PG, but you showed them Terminator. Uh, and I don't remember it phasing me at all, but I, 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 I only vaguely remembered seeing it at that age. And you know, a couple of years later when Terminator 2 came out, I obviously remembered more of it. Uh, but I don't really go back and watch this one that often. I could probably count, I don't know, maybe five or six times in my life that I've watched the first Terminator movie. I've probably seen Terminator 3 more than I've seen this one. And yeah, it's a good movie, but um, oh, people are going to hate me for this. If this movie came out today, I don't think people would be as thrilled with it as they are. And I, I feel like this is very impressive when you consider how it was made and the time it was made uh, and the low budget and the, I guess, the state of what B-movies were at this time, very good. But in no way is this in the same league as Terminator 2, let's be honest. Yeah, I'd be the same as you in the fact that I this is probably the one I've seen the least. And I couldn't tell you the first time I saw this film. I just... I know growing up, Dad had these all, of course, on video. And, you know, they're all recorded off TV, basically, because we were poor and that's all we could afford when it came. That was our downloading <laughs> of movies in the uh, the 1990s. It was, quick, press record, it's on TV. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Dad, on a Saturday night, if we didn't rent a video, we would just, you know, watch what we've got. And I don't think my mum knew that I was watching these films, but, hey, cool, <laughs> I've turned out all right. Um, but, yeah, we would always watch the second one more. And, of course, that was long before the third one ever came out. So... Uh, I, I feel I felt when I watched this for this rewatch, I was kind of like, I don't know if I remember this as well as I do. But then, of course, you start watching, like, okay, I do remember this film. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of on the same vein with what I was saying about this franchise, you know, not being maybe my top five. It's it's unlike, say, Jurassic Park or Star Wars, James Bond, you know, these sort of films where I'm going to rewatch them, you know, almost once a year. Um, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you the last time I've, I've watched the Terminator films. It's kind of, it's it's been that long so and like i i always feel this one i don't watch as much just because i always 
I always seem to remember the closing being really bad looking when it comes to the special effects. And for some reason, I'm just judgmental of 1984 special effects. I'm like, oh, why didn't it look realistic in 1984 with your technology? It's kind of like when Sarah Connor says in this film, like, I know that they can't build things like that yet. It's like, not yet. I'm from the future. Yet. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting movie to think that this has spawned the franchise that it has because usually when you look at a franchise, the first film kind of sets the bar pretty high as to why there would be, you know, more of these films. And you wonder if number two never happened, would we have ever had anything more? It's kind of like I feel yeah. as if they never went through with Terminator 2, this would just be its own film sitting there, um, you know, as a good bit of history in movies. But... Um, you know, it's 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 okay. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's no, just, it's not Terminator Two. Like, and there are people out there that are like, uh, oh, well, the Terminator series is all about the original two that James Cameron made. I'm like, well, he introduced some interesting ideas here, but I bet you James Cameron, guaranteed, a he's an egomaniac, and he's also probably a pathological liar. Let's. Just, I'm sure he also poisons children too, and uh, you know commits genocide. <laughs> Goes for the red Let's wings. Just... Yeah, exactly. Roots for the red wings, or the Columbus Blue Jackets, or something. Hey, or they're a good like team. That. You leave the Columbus Blue Jackets. They won the Stanley Cup this year. That joke's dated. If they didn't, and the, and the Lightning came back after being three nothing down, just not dating when we're recording this at all. Yo, but. Um... I bet you if you really were to get an honest opinion from James Cameron, he would probably say, you know what, I'm not that crazy about how Terminator came out, but there's nothing wrong with it. Like, this is, I'm going to have two comparisons here. And one, I feel it's a fair comparison. The other, I feel it isn't. Um, Halloween. So the original Halloween movie made on a super low budget from a director with no experience, and it became a phenomenon. And it was the best slasher movie anybody had ever seen what's normally considered a b genre john carpenter took this b movie slasher thing and made it something that was like a class entertainment uh even though it was a b movie you know through and through you look at every halloween movie after that it didn't matter how good your budgets were how talented your directors were and they never lived up to what the original did Terminator is more like El Mariachi. Like, are you familiar with the um, El Mariachi movies like Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico with Antonio Banderas? I know what they are, but I've never seen them. Okay. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the whole trilogy, and I'll rewatch all three movies, you know, not once a year, but maybe every two years or so. And uh, Robert Rodriguez, who, of course, now has just made the Alita Battle Angel movie with James Cameron, but he's more well-known, I guess, for Sin City and Spy Kids and From Dust Till Dawn. his first movie, El Mariachi, was made on a $7,000 budget out of his own savings, uh, completely shot on weekends with friends and family, like as low budget you could ever get. I mean, student films cost more money than El Mariachi costs. Somehow, it got released theatrically, made a couple million dollars, became a cult favorite, and then spawned a bigger budgeted series that he also made, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. This is, Terminator is more like El Mariachi. When I rewatch El Mariachi, I'm like, it is incredible what Robert Rodriguez did making an action movie on $7,000. But if I'm really going to pick what's the best movie, it's going to be Desperado. Uh, this is less Halloween where the original will never be topped. And it's more, isn't it great what James Cameron did elevating a B-movie 
on such a low budget and making it so good considering how, uh, I guess, insignificant this movie should have been at the time. And it's crazy to think that this is obviously his first major film. I mean, he did sort of other pretty shitty ones, didn't he? Uh, wasn't there Piranha. Like Piranha, yeah, one and that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, so, yeah, and we joke that, oh, what we do is Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Cameron films the third James Cameron film we've done. Um, and he's only done, like, what, eight? Um, so yeah. <laughs> we, we're nearly 50% through his filmography here. We, we almost did Avatar on Anniversary Month, yes. too. <laughs> and we probably will do that, what, next year or the year after, whenever the first of the next 20 mm. come out. So um, we just need to go back and do Aliens, um, Ghost of the Abyss, and we'll be fine. Um, yeah, and... I think reading through the history of this film and sort of how it came about, I just I love reading that story about how uh, during the filming of Piranha, he basically had a dream about a robotic arm killing people or something like that. Mm. So that was enough for him to set up like a hugely successful global franchise. Uh, you know, one of the most iconic characters of all time. Just by having a dream, I have dreams every night. Um, you know, how many of my dreams could have been multi-global franchises that could have made me billions of dollars in an Oscar and married to Sarah Connor? Didn't you one time have a dream about creating a network of podcasts with Colin Hilding and Nick Chester and Noah Groves? Yeah, and you're reaping all the benefits and here I am in frickin' Invercargill. Having twins and living in Korea. <laughs> yeah, in this situation, Nick, Noah, and I came out as James Cameron, and you're Michael Bean. Here here I am in Hobart, you know, thinking like, oh, I live in a small city. I've only got bigger and better things to do. And then I moved to an even worse place called Invercargill. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Can you just print a business card that says, Ben Waterworth, the Michael Bean of the Oz Network? <laughs> Everyone will laugh the shit of that joke. They will lose it. <laughs> Like, ah, I get it. I get it. Oh, so true. Um, where, where is Michael Bean? What's he been doing with himself? Like, that to me is the biggest mystery of this uh, entire movie. It's like, what, why is he in more things? <laughs> I have some theories. We'll get into that in a bit. He was in Greece. Uh, did you know that? The original? Yeah. The original? He was Mike, the basketball player. Oh, Mike. <laughs> wow. There he is. Remember all the, the Mike quotes that we were spewing out during Grease coverage oh, last year? Jesus. Here we are. Just the Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Cameron, and Michael Bean podcast. <laughs> I can't wait till we do the 2014 TV series where he played Buzz on the series called 24 Hour Rental. What a what a show that was. Uh, <laughs> How we know where Michael Bean has been. Bean. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, look at you with the jokes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, one thing, the one thing I think I maybe appreciate the most about this film, and I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion or not, I, I love Arnie as a bad guy. And yeah. I think he just, like, don't take away from, you know, Terminator 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 28, 29. Um, but there's just something about him. What he has, like, 18 lines in this film. He speaks less than 100 words of dialogue. If there is a movie that is built for Arnold Schwarzenegger, if there is a role that is made <laughs> for him and his acting ability, it is this. And, I mean, I would almost go out on a limb and say, is there any more perfect casting in movie history than Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T-800 in this film? I, I would say no. No. 
I, I completely agree with you. I mean, there's not a lot of things you could say. We've been joking constantly about Arnold Schwarzenegger, the all-American boy, uh, <laughs> in all of these movies. And even though there's no reason it should work for him here, it does work. And yeah, I would put that up there with like, you know, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones and um, Marlon Brando as Don Corleone, Sylvester Stallone as Rocky. I don't think there's anybody who would argue that Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T-800 is in that same category. Like, there's a reason that he has found his way into every single one of these movies, even when the character itself is basically written out. <laughs> he is still a part of the movie. Yeah, and there's, I don't say very few franchises where they're so built around one person. I mean, that's probably, I, mean, I could imagine John Wick without Keanu Reeves doesn't work. I've never seen them, but I mean, <laughs> the movie's called John Wick. Um, it's kind of like John Wick 4 <laughs> without Keanu Reeves. Um, Starring Michael B. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just so, so good. And I, I'm i a big Linda Hamilton fan. Um, their oh, words haven't been said in a while, but let's be honest, we all are. Like, <laughs> she may have gone into obscurity, but we still love you, Linda Hamilton. I, I do mm-hmm. want to say something. I don't know if this is a mean or not. I don't mean this to be mean if it is mean, but you know how like we talk about actors who, you know, like, Paul Rudd, Tom Cruise, they don't age. Like, they just, they look as young as they did 20, 30 years ago. I swear Linda Hamilton is the opposite. Like, she's always looked old. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, again, I'm not trying to sound horrible. I love you, Linda Hamilton. It's not your fault. But, like, there's just something about you in this film. She's meant to be, like, 19, isn't she? She she looks the same mm-hmm. age as she does in Terminator 2, as in Dante's Peak, in all those other films that she's been in that I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> she, she. I mean, she looks as old as she does in this film as she does in the t- the um, teaser poster for uh, Dark Fate. So I don't know. Is that just me, or what's wrong with Linda? No, Hamilton? no. <laughs> but uh, what was the movie we were talking about? This. Re- oh yeah, the, when we were covering True Lies, more James Cameron on Schwarzenegger uh, about how Jamie Lee Curtis we sort of looked at as an old woman, but maybe it could have just been our age too, because mm. uh, you know that part in Shazam where he first rescues the woman from getting uh, yeah. purse snatched. And he's like, you were trying to steal this purse from this really old lady here. It's like, old lady? I'm like 30. And, and he just saw that as an old lady. You wouldn't think like that's the way a teenager would look. And maybe that's the way it is. I, I saw this movie. I was probably eight when I saw this movie, if, mm. if even that. And at that time, a 19-year-old would look like an old lady to me. And, you know, when you uh, watch Terminator 2 after that, well, she's at least 10 years older or so. Now she's 29. She's really old. So She, she yeah, looks great. Just she looks great. I'm she not does, saying yeah. she doesn't look great. I'm just saying she, she never looks, has it. She's the Benjamin Button of Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of, she ages in reverse. But anyway, love you, Linda Hamilton. And Michael Bean's kind of, there's like four stars in this film. There's only like six people in this movie with talking roles anyway. Um, so, you know, they've all gone on to be, I mean, Paul Winfield. Um, what's he gone on to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Lance Henry. Oh, I think I've lost you. Oh, I have. Hello? That's just saying reconnecting there is poor network. Oh, oh, hang on. I hear Michael Bing. <laughs> 
I can hear you now. Am I back yet? Yep, I can hear you now. The last okay. thing I heard you say was, uh, I mean, Lance Henderson, and then you cut out, so... Uh-uh. Yeah, Lance Hendrickson probably had as much success as even like Linda Hamilton coming out of this because he had uh, the Alien movies after this. He he became, uh, I guess, the only other character to appear in multiple movies outside of Sigourney Weaver. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the cast is small. And I was kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, well, who has the most screen time? And I sort of looked back and assumed wrongly that Lance Hendrickson had a bigger role in this movie because I don't know if you know the behind the scenes story about his involvement in this. Uh, but really, outside of... Sarah and Reese and the T-800, you have the psychiatrist and you've got her roommate who dies not even 30 minutes into the movie and that's it. Thank God, too. We'll get to her. <laughs> um, but I should, actually shouldn't joke about Paul Winfield. Apparently an Academy Award nominee. Uh, he's nominated for uh, the film Sounder in 1972. So there you go. Academy Award nominee Paul Winfield, everybody, um, <laughs> in this film. Uh, we'll probably get into it um, because, again, there's, I mean, there's not a lot to talk about. We, we did a lot of this in our Disney ones, I feel, a couple yeah. of months ago where it's like we're not to take away from what they are, except for Maleficent. Um, but, I mean, I found, like, you know, when we did The Lion King and The Jungle Book, like, we covered everything and we were able to do it in, like, an hour. Like, it's just kind of it just... Sometimes you do a five-hour episode, sometimes you do a one-hour episode, and you still cover everything yeah. the same way. So um, we, we talked a lot about, like, True Lies and Speed and sort of these early 90s films with the very 90s credits. I, I think they kind of look worse for wear now, considering that the credits for this film are basically the same. So yeah. film, <laughs> film credits didn't really develop in a decade after this, because <laughs> the, the credits of this were groundbreaking at the time. Um, we see, though, we're in Los Angeles in 2029. We've got all these spaceships, things, and um, conveyor belt things, crushing skulls. Um, and then we have the uh, the, the text... On the screen, which says, The machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire. Their war to exterminate mankind had raged for decades, but the final battle would not be fought in the future. It would be fought here, in our present, tonight. Ooh. That is more words than Arnold Schwarzenegger says in this entire film right there <laughs> on that screen. Um... <laughs> But yes, we had, I mean, the music, like, can we just talk about the score for Terminator, about how it is one of the greatest themes in movie history? One of the, and I say that, I feel it gets lost amongst all the yeah. other great themes in movie history. You know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Superman, uh, you know, all of these have great iconic, you know, parts of movie history that everybody knows. But to me, Terminator is just one of these ones that just, it gives me goosebumps every single time I hear mm-hmm. it. It's just, it's so good. You know what the weirdest thing is about this? Uh, the music, the da dun 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 like, that's so iconic, but so is the da 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 And I did not realize until I watched it this past time that that da 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 that was the love theme from this. <laughs> and in every other movie after this, it does not take on a love theme at all. And that, that kind of shows you how good this theme is that it actually plays on different levels because it, in the, the, the nudie love scene that we have coming up, like it plays <laughs> as a very sweet theme. And then in the next movie, when, you know, the T-800 is dying, it plays like a really sad theme. And then in Terminator three, when judgment day happens, it plays like a tragic theme. Like that one piece of music plays three separate ways in three separate movies. And yeah, it is completely iconic. Um, 
from a composer who really did nothing else after this. I know that my sister used this as a ringtone. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Terminator fan, not like I'm you know huge huge fan uh, where I live and breathe it. But my sister is like a massive Terminator fan, and I'm pretty sure this was her first ringtone ever was the Terminator theme. I thought you were about to say she used it as like a wedding, like walking down the aisle, like da na 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 She could have. I, I probably could have talked her into it and she would have done it. <laughs> I just thought that would be hilarious at a wedding. Like, you know, you're waiting and everybody's sort of like, oh, shh, the bride's coming and all you hear is dun 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 She walks around the corner. All right, hang on. I'm just writing that down for Mallory and my wedding. Theme. But like, you, you know, like, um, the love song, it's kind of just reminds me of Attack of the Clones because that's cool. I know. And irritating and gets everywhere. It gets um, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, we use a love theme for that. That's the. But I was going to say that. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the love theme from Star Wars, or even you take Han and Leia's theme or anything like that, could you see that theme being played in an action piece? And yet this love theme in future movies plays 100% the same, the same music, no different, and plays just as well in the middle of a chase scene. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it, just, it works. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I did use the theme in one of the trailers for Kill Feel 2, by the way. There's a fun bit of movie history for you there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go and watch it. You know, you loved it. Um, so yes, yeah, the, uh, the credits, uh, they go on here forever a little bit, uh, with the very eighties slash nineties feel to it. Um, and then we got a guy in a truck somewhere, uh, in Los Angeles in 1984, and lightning goes everywhere, and he's like, what the hell? I swear he says, what the hell, twice. I swear they recycle that line of them <laughs> saying, what the hell, twice. That's how low budget this movie is. Can't even get a guy to say the same line twice. It's like, no. If you- I mean, Cameron-, <laughs> Cameron only had to pay him for one line. He's like, I can fix this in post-production. Yeah, if, I, if you say that again, we'll have to pay you double. That's what the union says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, this lightning appears, and then we get uh, naked Arnie. Gee, Jamie must have liked this. We get a lot of nudity in the uh, opening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's something funny as i was watching this by myself and uh, uh i'm like just because i know ben's gonna ask what do you think of this and i turn on the show where the naked arnie she's like, she's like yeah i'd go there i'm like but here right not like you know now when he's seven years old and she just looks at me he's like you heard me <laughs> just sort of went back to doing whatever she did on her phone what were we watching the other day uh suits we've started watching suits because Mallory- oh that's a good show Mallory wants me to watch it, and then she's starting to watch Third Watch. It's kind of like a trade thing. And do you remember Bill Buchanan from 24? Yeah. So the actor who played Bill Buchanan, I think, um, what was his name? I've gone blank on his name. Anyway, he was in an episode of Suits. And I'm like, oh, it's Bill. It's Bill from 24. And Mallory turns to me and goes, you know what? For an old guy, pretty attractive. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I see it. Like, bit of silver fox. So, you know, why not? Um, <laughs> anyway, Naked Arnie. Uh, well, we're building a list here of our wife and fiancé's uh, elderly uh, bucket list. What would you know we call it? Uh, hall pass list here. Yep. We've got like Tim Allen, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bill Buchanan, <laughs> Patrick Stewart. <laughs> well, I mean, mine's just Madonna. I mean, she's elderly as much as the next one. So oh, man, that's disgusting. She's 60. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just ate here. Uh, well, let's talk about something good. Naked Arnie. Uh, 
walking through uh, this area and he just happens to come across a bunch of street thugs. And does one of these people look familiar at all with the blue hair and the spikes? Um, and the painted on gap in his teeth. That's how low budget this movie is. James Carroll's like, I want a gap in your teeth, Bill Paxton. Well, I don't have a gap. Paint it on then. You know what he, he looks like? Um, uh, what's his name in the Back to the Future ones? He's played by Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah. You know the um, one? Oh, who you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who basically, in the future, he's going to like make Marty crash into the the um, the Volvo or the Rolls Royce or whatever it is. Anyway, he looks like him. But like I had to double take because I'm like, is that Bill pa-? Like I just had to rewind. Like, Holy shit, Bill Paxton. Oh. <laughs> Better than what you sniff. That's what I wanted him to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I got a little dick. It's tiny. <laughs> um, so uh, I, lo- I love the way, though, like he's there just replicating what these guys are saying. Um, nice night for a walk. Uh, are these thugs <laughs> Canadian? Because the first time they say it, they go, nice night for a walk, eh? <laughs> <laughs> They're so Canadian. They're Canadian thugs in L.A. <laughs> Uh, and Artie, your clothes, give them to me now. And basically just willingly murders these three, including ripping the heart out of one of them. It's pretty brutal. This this movie is pretty violent. Um, and I should have mentioned that there is a scene when Arnie's walking towards them. You just see his doodle flopping about. So, um, <laughs> tick for penis. Uh, we get nipples and penis in this movie. So, uh, very... <laughs> I've literally written on my piece of paper, Arnie Doodle. Uh... <laughs> Can we get hashtag Arnie Doodle trending? <laughs> hashtag Arnie Doodle. <laughs> Let's be honest, it's it's he's got a big dong. Like that was flopping about quite significantly. Like there was it wasn't like you had to zoom in or anything like that. Like, you know, uh, he the steroids work. <laughs> it's up there with Joan Allen. Yeah. <laughs> uh so yes, he's done that. He gets some clothes, and then we get another naked man appearing uh in <laughs> In an alley. Oh, it's Grease's Michael Bean. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Prince what show was up. His name again? Mike Chris the Wolf basketball is... player. <laughs> the, bas- the basketball player. <laughs> I bet she goes to Comic Con and it's like he's got the little sign on his desk Michael Bean, Kyle Reese, <laughs> the Terminator, Mike the basketball player, Grease. <laughs> you know, these Grease fanboys and girls showing up. Ah, it's Mike the basketball player. <laughs> I brought a ball. Can you play basketball with me, please? People cosplay as him. Comic cos. <laughs> I, you know, if somebody, if somebody comic, if somebody cosplays as Mike the basketball player, they deserve to win. Like right then and there, like a hundred percent. That is a lot hey, to win. Can we just do Halloween costumes this year as obscure characters <laughs> nobody remembers? And I will go as Mike the basketball player from Greece. Done. I'm going as Trudy from Titanic. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> she needs more love still. I'm standing by my Trudy love. <laughs> Tea, Trudy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, um... Here is poor old uh, Kyle Reese, iconic film actor Michael Bean, uh, <laughs> who somehow within two seconds of arriving is being chased by the cops. Now, I'm sorry, people say that the cops stereotype, you know, oh, look, there's a black person, we better go after them, they're breaking the law. 
That's all they do is see a naked white man and they go after him. That's that's <laughs> that's racist. Okay, you know what? If I'm walking home at night and I see a naked white man in my alley, I'm gonna call the cops too. If you've got a naked white man in your alley, you better go check that Jamie hasn't cheated on you again. <laughs> Jumping out the window. <laughs> oh, Jamie! Again? <laughs> Said again. What a terrible accusation to make. <laughs> Who is the father of our children, Jamie? What a paternity test. <laughs> Why does our baby come out sounding Austrian with a giant penis? Ben, you keep up jokes like that and Mallory's going to cheat on you again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, where do you think she is right now? She's not at work. <laughs> <laughs> do you know where your fiancé is? Why do you think I want to record so much? It takes my mind off the pain. She, she's <laughs> out there with Buchanan right now, let's be honest. She's having a gangbang with, like, Bill Buchanan, <laughs> all the famous Ryans, um, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Michael Bean. <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> Again? <laughs> The Oz Network, the podcast where the pain of being cheated on is fixed by making jokes about it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, thank you, Carl Reese, because uh, that's who he is. We don't know what his name is yet, but that's what alert. Thanks, Carl Reese. Um, he steals a homeless guy's pants and gets into a chase with the cops, uh, including taking a gun away from a cop. So he could have just played this off as being like, oh, sorry, officer. Like, you know, I got into a bit of a quarrel here with my good homeless friend, Quarrel. Uh, <laughs> 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 you quarrel, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Iconic lines in movie history. <laughs> you quarrel, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I like people who are friends with people. Um. <laughs> Anyway, so he turns this around pretty quickly by stealing a cop's gun and pointing it at him. What day is it? Um, and he's told it's like May the 12th or something like that. Funny story. Thanks to watching Everything Wrong with The Terminator. Uh, he says it's like May the 12th, 1980. Oh, we didn't say the year. He says it's a Thursday. It's actually a Saturday. Um, <laughs> so, first movie mistake in this uh, movie. Um... So he ends up running through a conveniently open shopping mall at midnight or whatever time it is and <laughs> conveniently grabs the right size jacket and the right size shoes. There's a bit of product placement there for Nike. Uh, and he also steals a shotgun conveniently just left in an unlocked cop car in an alley in 1984 Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> so Kyle Reese is set. He's all good. <laughs> And then he goes to a phone booth, remember those, and finds a phone book, remember them, and <laughs> turns to the page with Sarah Connor on it. I wonder if that's going to uh, play any significance into this. Rips the page out. And then we cut to everybody's favourite old lady, Linda Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> 19-year-old. Linda. Actually, how old was Linda Hamilton in this? Uh, I read somewhere that she's... Yeah, the character's meant to be 19, but in this she would have been... What's that? 20... Five. Twi- no, 28 she was. Um, she was old. She, Jesus Christ. <laughs> she was so old. <laughs> Um, so yeah, here she is. I mean, the- Ben wouldn't even date her, she's so old. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> on the 
ugliest motorbike I have ever seen. Like, holy <laughs> crap. Like, I know the 80s weren't exactly a decade of style, but Jesus Christ. Um, that is one ugly mofo motorbike. Um, <laughs> she thought she was cool. Uh, she, she goes to work. She's a waitress. Of course she is. And um, she tells the thing holding the burgers to guard it for me, big buns. Uh, again, iconic. When people think of iconic movie lines from uh, Terminator, uh, it, it always comes up with, I'll be back and guard it for me, big buns. Uh, <laughs> she checks in. Uh, we see the name on the card is Sarah Connor. <gasps> Ooh. Uh, and she's late for work, as they always are. Um, meanwhile, Arnie's stolen a car. That's great. And then she's having the worst day because she's got the worst life, just poor old Sarah Connor. She's fucking up the order. Like, all these people are like, I didn't order this, I wanted this, I wanted this. I'm sorry. These people have the right to complain. Like, if I'm yeah. sitting at a table and I've got a waitress coming up and she's like, but who ordered this? Like, no one. Get it right. Um, and we get a little kid putting ice cream into her apron, <laughs> to which she looks shocked. And then we meet Ginger, the worst human being ever, who at this time should be supporting her dear friend, Sarah Connor, to which she replies with the line, look at it this way, in a hundred years, who's going to care? <laughs> <laughs> what a bitch! Like, she, like... September 11, we always end up there. Um, She's like (laughs) sitting in traffic in New York and she sees a plane flying to the World Trade Center and is like, oh my God, oh my God. What's the fish? Ah, look at it in this way. In 100 years, who's going to (laughs) care? She's the worst person ever. Um, Screw you, Ginger. Um, Arnie, meanwhile. Somebody did. (laughs) True. We're going to find out very soon on the phone and in person. Um,. Arnie, meanwhile, also showcases the fact that America hasn't changed in 35 years. You can just go into a store and buy a bunch of guns. Um, and I love the fact that he's just like, I'll have this one. you have this one with the scope. And he starts loading up a gun with a bullet. This, this shop attendant's just kind of like, oh, well, you can take this one today. Oh, you can have this one in 15 days. Sees him loading up the bullets. Hey, you can't do that. And I need to reply, wrong. Pull and blows his head off. I shouldn't laugh at that so much. But I just love his reaction to wrong. Blows him up. Oh, God. This, see, this is where Arnie should be ginger. Like, I want to see Arnie prancing <laughs> around in a little waitressy skirt. You know, <laughs> put it this way. In a hundred years, who's going to care? <laughs> oh, Born to play the role. <laughs> so good. Um, we've got Kyle Reese soaring off a shotgun and hiding it a little bit better. Um, Arnie, <laughs> so Arnie's got this car. He pulls up to a phone booth where he rips a guy off a phone. I've written Arnie pushes off Rupert from phone booth. <laughs> that is so Rupert Bonham on the phone. Right <laughs> Go back and watch that scene. That is Rupert. Um, and what does the guy hey, say? You're not even from this country. I could tell by the accent. Why are you pushing me off the phone? But doesn't he say like, that's not cool, man. Like, oh, good comeback. You know, in Dumb and Dumber, when that guy's like banging on the phone booth, like, I need to use the phone. And then he gets punched. I want Rupert to be doing this. <laughs> Who the hell pushed me off the phone? Uh, <laughs> T-800. I never knew they made such a Terminator. <laughs> but then I learned that they did. 
and I discovered to like them. Uh, <laughs> Laura! Laura! <laughs> Rhea! <laughs> Push me on the phone! Um, uh, Arnie, meanwhile, also looks for Sarah Connor in the phone book. I wonder if they're connected at all. Um, so he then drives off. One thing that I always... Like, this is a killing machine from the future. He's a robot. But, like, does he obey traffic laws? Like, we only ever see him, like, pull up to a house. Like, is there a scene where he just pulls up to a red light and he's just, like, staring? He's got, like, Terminator vision, which is, like, red light, stop. He's all, like... Does he shoulder check? (laughs) I I don't know if there's turn signals on all these bikes. Like, you know, the actual, if you're riding a bicycle, you got to put your arm up for the left turn and out for the right turn. I want to see him signaling on a bike like that. Does he stop at a zebra crossing? Like, there's little kids crossing the road. It's like, stop, little children. And does a little kid, like, wave at him and it comes up with a wave at child. And he's just like, waves. Or does it come up with response? Fuck you, asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see Terminator following basic life. You know? <laughs> uh, but he shows up to this house and you know he's evil because he runs over a children's toy. Ooh, that bastard. Uh, <laughs> that's how you know he's evil. Um, as well as his dog barking at him, which of course is going to play uh, a slight part into it. Um Knocks on the door, and then we hear the first of Sarah Connor. Um, and then, yes. And then, bang, 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 bang. He dies. Well, she dies. And uh, then we cut back to the uh, other, our beloved Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor, who is then being called away by the worst human in the world, Ginger, who again continues to be terrible. <laughs> hey, Sarah, come look at this. Look, you're dead. Because the news in 1984 Los Angeles works super quick because already they're able to identify the murder victim within minutes and put it on the news straight away. I work for a newspaper. It doesn't work this quickly. Uh, and we've got the or internet now. <laughs> in 1984 Los Angeles, nothing happened. It was a city of safety. <laughs> Absolute safety. Um, so, yes, on the news we learned that a Sarah Connor has been murdered. You're dead, honey. Uh, and then we also get uh, Kyle, cut back to him, in his car that he's stolen and he's having a dream or I guess a vision back to what the future is like of uh, people fighting with lasers and these um, flying machines, which I think uh, maybe the best special effects in this film are actually in these sequences. Like the flying spaceship looks actually pretty cool. That holds up quite well. Um, a random person gets blown up um, and then uh, he wakes up and he realises he's had a dream and he drives off. I might put it there, hold it there. Just kind of this opening sort of sequence going on there. Um, <laughs> just remember, Colin, that in 100 years, nobody's going to care about what you say. Yeah. <laughs> in 100 minutes, nobody's going to care, let's be yeah. honest. The Oz Network. The Michael Bean of podcasts. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first thing I noticed is how this opening of the movie is indistinguishable from any other bad 80s B sci-fi movie. And that's why I definitely am giving this the El Mariachi credit for being the best of a bad genre. Because I like to watch a lot of these bad B movies. And uh, we have like a channel called uh, – well, it's an American channel, but we still carry it here called Turner Classic Movies. And I think it's on Friday nights. Like if you stay up like past midnight, you know, one – 
three o'clock in the morning. The air really bad seventies and eighties B movies and like sci-fi movies. And sometimes I'll record these. I'm like, that sounds hilarious. And you, when I was watching the open this, I thought to myself, like, would anything at the beginning of this movie set it apart from those other B movies? And I don't think anything does until at least halfway through the movie. And that's not knocking the movie. It's still enjoyable, but the first half really is just a bad B movie. And I think that was always James Cameron's intention. Um, that's why I say I believe even James Cameron would go back now and be like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have made it the same today. But this is where he came out of. I mean, he was a special effects guy, I think, for like Roger Corman or something like that. Uh, and the movies he had made, I, I, no way did James Cameron ever believe this would become as big as it did. Now, I'm curious at the time Schwarzenegger signed on to this movie, because I'm sure we'll talk about how his casting came about in a bit. But um this movie comes out in 84, Conan the Barbarian's in 82. I mean, he was still semi-famous for his bodybuilding because of like the Pumping Iron documentary that was out there uh, before even Conan the Barbarian. But I wonder if he signed on to this before Conan became big because I don't know if Arnold Schwarzenegger, post the success of Conan the Barbarian, would sign on to play a role in a bad 80s B-sci-fi movie. And like I said, I don't believe that there is any way James Cameron even expected anything more out of this movie. But Schwarzenegger helped sell the movie. I mean, he was the poster, uh, yet it is a small role. When we get to the last half hour of the movie, he's not even in the last half hour of the movie. So this could be, if we can do our research at some point between now and the end of Terminator month, uh, find out when he signed on and if Conan was a big thing at that point, I'd be interested to see because I, I don't feel like you. this... Just, Go ahead. I, I'm seeing sort of in reading some of this that that um, he was filming it uh, or just about to film it whilst he was doing Conan the Destroyer. Okay. Uh, because so apparently there's a famous interviewer, an interview that while he was on the set of Conan the Destroyer, somebody asked him because he was wearing a, a pair of shoes or something that was to do with the Terminator. And sort of said like, oh, you know, uh, what what are you doing with those shoes? And Schwarzenegger apparently responded, oh, it's from some shit movie I'm doing. It will take a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, um, well, there you go. Schwarzenegger, who was the biggest deal involved in this movie, did not think anything of it. So well, he said yeah. he said in his book too that uh, it says here he recounted in his memoir Total Recall that he was initially hesitant but thought that playing a robot in a contemporary film would be a challenging change pace of Conan the Barbarian and the film was low profile enough that it would not damage his career if it was unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, he basically thought this was going to be shit and that it would not have any uh, bearing on his career. I mean, he was still somewhat of a big deal and. I feel like they got lucky having him because can you imagine this movie without Schwarzenegger? I mean, it went on to oh, become a big no. hit. It shouldn't have. Uh, even if you got a great actor, because um, the original idea the James Cameron wanted was Lance Henriksen, who played one of the cops here, who plays the android in Aliens later on. That was who James Cameron wanted. He wanted a very average-looking Terminator that would blend into the background, and Lance Henriksen was his choice. Lance Henriksen would have made a great Terminator in another movie, if you, if you didn't have Schwarzenegger. But even with him, I don't feel like this works. I feel like they just had the right guy at the right time, and Schwarzenegger's star power exploded because of this. And there were probably a lot of people curious because they had seen Conan the Barbarian and they knew what a big deal he was as a bodybuilder. Uh, it would be the equivalent of, I don't know, casting like Conor McGregor in a movie now. You know, He's well known for what he did outside of movies. 
it would give you a bit of a boost, you know? But well, otherwise, like what happened I feel with like The Rock this... and, I guess... Um, yeah, exactly. Scorpion Batista King, right? and things like that that kind of... Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, when The Rock was... Yeah, Scorpion King, because at that time, it wasn't really... Like, wrestlers didn't really cross over into movies yeah. outside of Hulk Hogan, and, you know, we've talked about that before. But, like, yeah, yeah like, it, it wasn't a, a, a thing. So, I, yeah, The Rock mm-hmm. was probably the next big example of that. Yeah, and, and this movie... It's not even just about what Schwarzenegger brought. I think just the fame of him gave this movie a chance to be released. Um, but nothing about this is any different than any other 80s B-movie. It's just it was a pretty good B-movie. Um, can I just put this out there? Michael Bean is a one-of-a-kind, truly awful actor. <laughs> <laughs> like, he is, he is next-level bad, okay? And he definitely got better. Like I like him sort of in Aliens. But I wrote this in my note without even realizing what I was saying and the connection we get later on. I put Michael Bean, 1984's Jai Courtney. <laughs> That's the best way of summing him up. He's the guy, it's like he's passable. He's got an okay look. He really has no charisma whatsoever. He kind of has anti-charisma in a way where I just watched this movie and I'm like, I don't know what it is, but something about this guy bugs me. <laughs> and a lot of people who love the idea of the Kyle Reese character or – Love him because of his cult status will be like, oh, come on. He's Michael Bean. His performance in his opening scene where he's like, when is it? Tell me what day it is. And it's like, and he goes, what year? <laughs> <laughs> William Shatner has more subtlety than this man. Just go back. I want somebody to put together YouTube clips of the worst Michael Bean moments. He is next level bad. What year? <laughs> what year? Uh, and then other times he's totally monotone and it's just, it's ridiculous. But, uh, the other thing, Bill Paxton overacting, uh, love it because <laughs> he brings a comic touch to it. And you got to wonder these Terminators, we learn from the other movies. They learn from what they see. They don't know what history is. And that's why he's kind of repeating, uh, the, the things he, the, these guys, these goons are saying to him. And we find out in other Terminator movies, you know, how they adapt what they see. What if the first person he'd encountered was a 1984 hooker in, like, a leotard at BOA? I mean, does he say, give me your clothes, your BOA, and your leotard? (laughs) He walks around the rest of the movie just like that. I mean, we almost got it in Terminator 3 with the the glasses from the strip club. Uh, But it's completely plausible based on the world. You know what I'm more I'm not joking. Of all the things I'm excited to talk about in this podcast, uh, this series, everything Terminator 2, of course, uh, more than anything else, the deleted scene of where they modeled the T-800 after and Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent in that scene, if you've ever seen it. That <laughs> I don't is think I have. The- <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to show it to you. Oh, wait, is that I'm from Terminator 2 or Terminator 3? 3. Where it's the okay, I'll just uh, just to jog your memory, it's a deleted scene about uh, where they're watching um, this guy who is Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the guy, one of the guys from Cyberdyne or whatever it's called, then uh, explaining this is our latest model, the T100, and it is Arnold Schwarzenegger with the most hilarious Texas accent, <laughs> and they're like. Yeah, but maybe we could do something about that voice. And you just see Arnold, like this other guy, not Arnold Schwarzenegger, turn and go, we can fix it. (laughs) it, it, There was no way it was ever going to end up in the movie, but so brilliant. Uh, But yeah, like, 
I don't know. I just I imagine this if you found because even looking at the 1984 wardrobe we have, it's like a jean jacket with chains on it. I mean, <laughs> there's a reason that the iconic image of the Terminator is not the jean jacket with chains on it, too. <laughs> Uh, where did Michael Bean get his gun from? I mean, I know he steals the pants, which, by the way, you talk about all the things in 1984 Los Angeles. We see him putting on the pants after talking to this hobo, and then the hobo says, he stole my pants while he's wearing another pair of pants, as if every hobo in 1984 Los Angeles has a clean pair of pants (laughs) next to him. (laughs) He's got two pairs of pants, apparently, but he's got a gun, and where did the gun come from that Michael Bean gets? I don't even know. Didn't he take it from the cop? Like, doesn't he take it from the cop when he points the gun at him and he says, like, what year is it? This is when he takes the gun, right? Well, I think that, I thought that he had the gun before the cops even came. No, Uh, I I think he gets it from what I saw. Uh, Maybe he had another one in a scene before and it was just a mistake, but he takes the gun from the cop and that's when he points the cop, the gun at the cop. And he's like, what year is it? What year? What year? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of years, the in 100 years, who's got a care line? (laughs) Like, was this James Cameron's clever way of being like, I'm going to put time travel references in here, like the Jetsons t-shirt that she wears later. And people are going to look back on this movie years from now and be like, he planned it all in 100 years. Or is it just a really bad line? I don't know. I, I want there like, to be something in the in this upcoming Terminator film where I want them to be 100 years in the future. And I want there to be like a moment where they say like, she's right. I didn't care about it. It's been a hundred years. I don't even care about that ice cream anymore. Oh, hashtag rip ginger. <laughs> ginger had it right all along. <laughs> or I want like, you know, uh, remember, remember in uh, 2015, how it was like back to the future day. I want there to be a day yeah. in 2084 on the day that the Terminator is released, where there's a big viral moment on the internet where it's like, today's the day to see if anybody actually cares that Linda Hamilton had ice cream <laughs> dropped down her apron. Was Ginger right or not? Find out today. <laughs> That's what everybody is still waiting for the answer on. Yeah. Does she care 100 years later? Is there even ice cream in 100 years? We don't know. These are the questions still yet to be answered. Is there ginger like- in 100 years or has that flavor been completely <laughs> raped, raped from existence? Raped, apparently. Uh, raped from, from existence. existence. <laughs> oh. Wow, Ben. Um, again, uh, <laughs> Ben. 9-11, rape jokes. <laughs> so I'm just ticking off taboo bingo every episode. <laughs> oh haha ha, Ben's a pedophile Tick <laughs> um, But let's also ask this question In a hundred years Will James Cameron's dialogue Finally get decent Like <laughs> I, I, I'm not I, I know because we started with Titanic I've got this thing about Hating on James Cameron James Cameron early stuff Love it Even this first Terminator Love it But I don't think anybody Has ever claimed That he's a good dialogue writer I mean he's he's in the George Lucas category Incredible storyteller Bad with dialogue um, And Ginger is Yeah she's an annoying character And I always forget She's even a part of this movie Like I remember The background cops in this I remember The motel guy Who's banging on his door later I forget Ginger's even part of this movie She's completely useless Beth Motta and, uh, Is her name What a name Beth Sounds like a Star Wars character Beth Motta Sounds like Star Wars Planet. She's she's an American actress, singer, choreographer, and exercise demonstrator who appeared in the Canadian produced television series The Twenty Minute Workout. (laughs) That was a TV series. Apparently, 
Uh, there you go. My mom watched it back in 84, uh, or my aunt while she was watching us in between <laughs> showing us Terminator. Mona uh, gave an interview to the Terminator fans' website in 2010 in which she confirms that she has attended the occasional Comic-Con event, which she actually doesn't state whether she's there as, like, a guest or she's just a fan. Like, she's probably walking around Comic-Con <laughs> going, Wow! Look! Over there! <laughs> William Shatner. It's Ginger from Terminator. Oh, look, a guy cosplaying as Mike the basketball player from Greece. <laughs> oh, she has an official website. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to drop her a line at the end of this. Try to get her on before the end of the month. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, she, she, only won other a, thing- she won an award uh, for playing Judy Garland in The Boy From Oz. Uh, she won the LA Stage Alliance Ovation Award, the Los Angeles <gasps> Drama Critics Circle Best Feature Performance as Judy Garland in The Boy From Oz. Oh, good for you. Best Motta? You've achieved Best Motta? <laughs> the Best Motta Cantina. I still say it's a Star Wars planet. Star Wars Month. Coming soon to the Oz Network. Another thing to comment on her... Uh, she says something like, I'm on break now, or, or Sarah's on break. You look in the back. There are like 16 waitresses and six cooks on break. This restaurant seats like four people. I mean, the entire staff is on break at the same time here watching this newscast. Um, but it is kind of creepy. Like, I think maybe it was because I was a kid at the time. I didn't see some of the, the terror in this. And I remember that one shot of them in the um, the hallway uh, of the mall in Terminator 2 when he's got the the flower box and he pulls the gun out and just mm-hmm. thinking about how terrifying that is because it plays like something of a nightmare. I never really got that from Terminator One, and maybe it was because I was too much, you know, too young at the time. Uh, but even seeing it now, I just don't look at it the same way. But that scene where it's like somebody with your name is dead, that doesn't really give me the chills. But later on, when the 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 next name comes up, I remember thinking to myself watching it now. I'm like. Like, yeah, I'd be skipping town at that point. <laughs> Sorry, I got to go, guys. <laughs> uh, I would swap name tags with somebody. <laughs> Happy Canada Day, best model. <laughs> so I found a Twitter, and she literally has 455 followers. She doesn't really tweet that much, but then there was one from the 2nd of July, 2018, a day late uh, for Canada Day. <laughs> To which he's written, Happy Canada Day to all my beautiful friends to the north. I heart Canada, XOXO, hashtag Canada Day. And it's a picture of her looking very sultry and sexy uh, in a little box that says, Happy Canada Day with maple leaves above her. Like, um, oh. Yeah, I'm following her now. <laughs> 456, there you go. I, I can officially say I have more followers than an actress in Terminator. <laughs> There you go. That's my new... I'm not going to change that as my bio on Twitter. Officially has more followers than Beth Motta. <laughs> uh, only other thing I really want to talk about is the, um, the scene where he's buying the guns, which, again, t- takes on a new meaning, maybe because I'm getting older and you follow the news more or just because of the way things have gone or the way that media is portraying you know, uh, gun control and stuff like that. But him going in there and when the guy says... This is exactly what he says... You can have the rifles today, but the handguns will take 15 days. You're thinking, like, how is he taking any of this today? But second of all, how is it that the more dangerous guns he can have now? <laughs> America. <laughs> America. Uh, and not knocking America. Uh, but well, it's, just, it's just weird. 
knocking yeah, James Cameron's Canadian. I mean, <laughs> this was a knock against America. Let's be honest. <laughs> James Cameron and Bess Mata both is she's not Canadian though, is she? She likes Canada, so that's enough for us. <laughs> uh, but here's my other question. He goes in there and asks the guy for the guns. And then blows him away because he asked him to wait on a license. Could he not have gone in there and just snapped this guy's neck and taken all the guns off the shelf? Why does he ask him to show him the guns? <laughs> it makes no sense. Because he's a dick. He's just a massive dick. <laughs> well, literally. It's like him going into a car rental place and asking, I would like the 1984 blah, blah, blah sedan. Uh, four doors, please. And I was like, "All right, so that'll be uh, you know thirty-seven ninety-five plus seven cents per kilometer." No, give it to me now. And it just takes it. No, he just goes out there. He smashes a window and he hot wires a car. Why is he asking this guy for guns? Period. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, just quickly on the casting thing, I think the the famous one with this one, uh, Sylvester Sloan and. And Mel Gibson were attached to it, but I think that the most famous bit from that came from the fact that O.J. Simpson was tied to this uh, <laughs> character, story. to which James Cameron famously <laughs> said the line, I did not feel that Simpson would be believable as a killer. Uh, <laughs> now, talking about things that don't date well... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, never gets old. <laughs> We're so funny. Um, yeah, no, it definitely doesn't date well. Anyway, so we should really get on with this. Uh, <laughs> how we take an hour to get like 20 minutes into the film? So, um, Sarah and Ginger are getting ready. And what better way for Ginger to get ready than by loading up the epically technological Walkman, um, which... <laughs> I mean, you know, this movie doesn't age very well when it comes to some things, but just the, that peak of technology, are we going to look back at iPods in 20 years' time and go, holy crap, who had those? Oh, yeah. Um, Guaranteed. I, I think this might have been one of those vinyl Walkmans, too, so yeah. it could have been even older tech. <laughs> uh, it's one of those gramophones. You had to wind it up on the side. Um, and also what dates the fact, too, is that uh, it's cool to wear a Flintstones t No, it's a Jetsons, not Flintstones t-shirt. Jetsons, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and... It's also prophetic about the future. Yeah. Oh, look, the, the in-jokes in this film are great. Uh, and also, in 1984, when phone sex was still a thing, remember, well, actually, so phone sex, Colin, is when two people who like each other ring each other up and pretend to have sex. Uh, it's fun. You should try it. Yeah, they, they, they call that audio sexting now. Yeah. <laughs> but this guy, what is he, what's his name, Matt or Mike or something like that? Like... Just doesn't even wait for a, you know, to confirm who it is. It's like a, hello, first I'm going to rip the buttons off your blouse. <laughs> and like, how 80s when, oh, this was just fun. When Sarah just giggles about it. If this happened now, it would be like, what did you say to me? I'm suing. Uh, <laughs> you did not have consent to say that over the phone with me. You phone raped me. Um, <laughs> but she finds it hilarious, Sarah, that, uh, you know, but how horny is this guy? He's about to come over and have sex with her. Yeah, he's just like ringing her up now. Ah, the good old days when men were horny all the time. Doesn't happen anymore. Um, and then we meet our cops. Um, the only other talking roles basically in this movie, uh, as they put together that there's another Sarah Connor that has been killed and, uh, um, <laughs> 
they're going off at the serial like you know a mass murder oh i hate the weird ones um i mean what killers are not weird like generally killers are weird right <laughs> like uh, i like the normal I mean, this killers. is coming up with charles manson and ted bundy <laughs> and all the normal ones <laughs> Uh, Ginger and Sarah getting ready and, oh, the fluffy hair and the perm and, oh, it's looking pretty sexy there, Ginger. Um, and also the outfit too by Sarah. She's in like a cardigan and some sort of skirt. Like, oh God, I'm glad we've moved away from the fashion from the eighties. Like I, I, I wish <laughs> that I was, I mean, I was born in the eighties, but you know, I was like three by the time the decade ended. So I don't really remember any of it. Um, I wish I grew up in the eighties sometimes, but not when it comes to the fashion. <laughs> Just... You know, <laughs> and when it was cool to have a lizard, is this like your iguana from License to Kill that you yeah. looked after? What is this, a bearded dragon or something like that? Or they, they were very big in the eighties, along with Walkmans and the Jetsons. <laughs> it's just like everyone just has one of these lizards. What's it called, Pugsy? Um, like, did it have a name? I think it's called Pugsy. Because uh, yeah, Pugsy still loves me, don't you, baby? I've written that down on my notes. <laughs> Um, if I ever get uh, a bearded dragon, I'm going to name it Michael Bean. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call it Best Motta. Um, yeah. <laughs> incidentally enough, I've just found uh, there's a website, theterminatorfans.com. Uh, shout out to theterminatorfans.com because I like their slogan for uh, following them on Instagram. Follow us if you want to live. Uh, so they're just basically threatening, <laughs> threatening people. If they don't follow them, they will kill them. Uh, they've got an interview with Best Motta. Um, so, and I do, I do love this question here. When you watched the film back as a viewer, how did you feel about the part Matt played in your demise? In fact, Matt heard the phone call from the police, but turned up the volume on your Walkman whilst he was wearing your vest, which you were still wearing, lol. To which Best Model replies, well, I don't hold it against Matt. No one likes the phone to ring during sexy times. <laughs> Wow. That's now also on the bottom of her business yeah. card. <laughs> Best motto. Nobody likes the phone ringing during sexy times. Um, so Sarah's here's a phone. It's a, a phone message. Oh, answering machines, all the technology. Um, and sadly, her date has cancelled on her. He knew. He knew the trouble that Sarah Connor would be. Mm. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> He's going to come back in the next Terminator movie. Sarah, sorry that I stood you up that night. Um, could have been the father of Kyle Reese, uh, not Kyle Reese, John Connor. So, yeah, you never know. Um, so yeah, did she get her dates mixed up? Like, how do we know it's Kyle's baby? Yeah, exactly. She was clearly active at this point in her life. There, there's there's going to be a, a paternity test happening in, <laughs> in the next in the next twenty twenty nine. Um, so yeah, he, he leaves on a, um, so Sarah leaves, Matt shows up and, uh, you know, ah, oh, scary, you know, look at you, leaves on her ugly bike again. And then we see Kyle who's stalking her and follows her because automatically he knows what she looks like, apparently. Um, again, how great is the 1980s that in police stations, the press can just show up and walk down the corridor of a police station <laughs> and just be waiting for them there like vultures. Now... Um, I'm a journalist, and <laughs> this is not how it works. We have to, like, call the media centre. We have to wait for press conferences. They will only give us a press release. They won't answer anything unless they can officially do it. I want to just stand in a police station with a microphone. And again, how quick are they to release names in 1984 of these people who were murdered? Like, this is fast work by the police and the press back in 1984. Um, 
They get. I love the. What are the cops called? I should be calling them by their names. Police officers? <laughs> no, like the characters' names. <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's. Well, we know that uh, Lance Henriksen plays one yes. of them, and uh... Hal Vukovic and Ed Traxler. There we go. Um, iconic characters in the Terminator franchise. Yeah, we get a Yo Mama joke. Um, <laughs> with Halle Berry was in this. I movie. know, right? But I mean, does it date better in 1984? <laughs> yeah. Um, and th- and then how lazy are the cops as well? Because they're trying to basically warn another Sarah Connor because they're they're working out that oh this this person's doing this in order of them in the phone book. So who's the next one in the phone book? Oh, this Sarah Connor. I'm going to try and call her. Oh, damn it, boss, she's not answering. Oh, well, A, leave a message? No. How about we just go around to her house? No. Um, we'll, we'll just keep trying and calling her. <laughs> like, it's so late. And do they ever get to the... Like, do they ever get to the third Sarah Connor on the list? Or do they spend four hours like, oh, she's still not picking up? Well, we can't move on. Yeah. We've got to do things in an orderly fashion here. Well, in all fairness to the to the cops, like, the, the term... Like, Arnie doesn't do it. Like, he does it in order. Like, he doesn't just give up after a while. Like, she's yeah. not home. Go to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> and let's be honest. Like, this could be a whole movie where, like, they could pull the wool over your eyes. There's a whole movie of Arnie chasing, you know, Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor... He, you know, gets right at the end, finds out that that's not the real Sarah Connor, and that the fourth Sarah Connor in the book yeah. is actually the mother of John Connor. Like, wouldn't that make, you know, for better sequels? Like, you got the wrong Sarah Connor. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we also get Ginger and Matt hooking up. Good for them. Um, Sarah's eating pizza. Um, and she watches the news, which, because everybody in a pizza restaurant in 1984 is watching the news. Uh, it's like, it's, have you ever been to a restaurant and the news is on, like, really loudly? And it's like, everyone's like, turn that up! Uh, and then she really... was that or the Jetsons? Yeah, they, they only the had Jetsons. two channels. Yeah, sport wasn't a thing in 1984, Los Angeles. Um, that's, they didn't care about it back then. Um... But on the news, uh, it's announced that another Sarah Connor's dead. So Sarah gets all panicked. She goes to the phone book. Again, if this is 2019, she'd be getting a smartphone out. But no, the phone book was a thing still. And, uh, yep, she looks to realize that she's next in the phone book. Oh, no. Um, so she's trying to call up uh, people to, I guess, um, find out. But the, the phone's not working. There's like an out of... I love how she's like looks... She dials the phone, even though there's a piece of white paper on it that says out of order on it. And then you've got creepy guy standing next to her. Just stare... What is the point of that guy? He's just like staring her up and down. Uh, he's a Terminator too. He's coming back in the next yeah. Terminator film. <laughs> she leaves um, and Kyle's following her. Of course, she's thinking that he's the one that's going to be after her. So she sneaks into some bar. What's this bar called? Tech Noir. Uh... <laughs> Ooh, more prophetic stuff about the future. <laughs> oh, iconic 1984 so bear, uh, nightclub, Tech Noir, to which you have to pay $4.50 to get in. <laughs> Close your phone, $4.50. Um, and then she finds the phone, puts money in, and calls 911. Isn't 911 free? <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a ripoff, 1984. You have to pay for an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets through to 911 and the LAPD is like, sorry, we're busy. <laughs> what is we're trying to reach Sarah Connor. Leave us alone. <laughs> what was that in, in the sixth day, wasn't it? When they're like, are you calling to report a crime? <laughs> <laughs> if you're calling to report a crime, dial one. 
And was that a Simpsons episode too when they like call up? I think it was Simpsons, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she. If you're being held hostage by Iranian terrorists. <laughs> press six. And what a terrible place with the phone, basically on the nightclub floor. Like, you're not hearing anything on this phone. Yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely nothing. And just the hairstyles of the people walking past, everyone with a mullet. Like, oh, God. That got all the chicks in 1984. Um, what year were you born? Weren't you born in 1984? 81. Oh, okay. thought you were younger than that, Colin. Um, <laughs> did you have a mullet at, at age three? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I will say this, though. My mom loved mullets <laughs> probably all the way up until, I don't know, the late 90s when it sort of became a joke of the mullet. <laughs> they're coming back. I know there's a lot of Australian footballers who what? suddenly have mullets. It's like it's kind of a fashion thing. It's It's odd. Um, so, anyway, as long as we get rid of the, uh, the man bun, oh god, I'd rather a mullet than a man bun, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, so... Agreed, agreed. <laughs> um, Ginger's making a sandwich and with a Walkman, of course, Arnie's coming in and, you know, Walkmans are so loud that you can't hear anything, uh, you know, including a fight between Arnie and Mike in the bedroom. <laughs> Um, the lizard scares Ginger and Arnie just bashes the shit out of poor old Mike who, what does he say? Like, don't make me bust you up, man. (laughs) (laughs) So 80s. In a movie where the line, you're a Terminator fucker, is like uttered later on. It's like, don't let me bust you up, man. Uh, And he's wearing like these like super tight stripy undies. Oh my god, it's so funny. And I just love how Ginger's made herself like a five-layer club sandwich in five seconds with a glass of milk. (laughs) What a combo. And then she's walking down the corridor again, not hearing this commotion that's happening. Poor old Matt comes flying through the door, she drops the sandwich, and then she gets mowed down by Arnie, who, you know, doesn't stop to be like, Sarah Connor, like... (laughs) Which, let's be honest, if you've got a guy coming up to you like this, Sarah Connor, no! Okay. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's like in the next movie when he just starts killing people. You can't kill people! Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Terminator. Um, but, yeah, so poor old Ginger's dead. Oh, what a shame. Uh, the phone uh, rings, and, of course, there's a message left on the machine, and this time it's Sarah. Oh, convenience. And basically, oh, Ginger, there's someone after me. And then Arnie, of course, hears it and he knows because then she's um, said where she is. Uh, So there you go. And meanwhile, the cops also get called. So they're going to send someone after her. Um, Then we get this, uh, the, the showdown, basically our first showdown with Kyle and Arnie in the club and kind of the slow motion, uh, trying to find Sarah. I should mention Arnie knows what Sarah looks like just because he saw a student ID or something like that. I do love Arnie coming into Technotron or whatever this place is called, just walks in and it's like, hey, he didn't pay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Didn't get his $4.50 and then that guy tries to stop him. (laughs) I'm going to bust you up, man. He's so cool in the 80s. I'm going to bust you up, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they have a big showdown. Uh, there's a bit of a shootout. We get our very first iconic line that is uttered in every single Terminator film of, come with me if you want to live. Do you, do you think they plan that, like, 
in number two, maybe we'll talk about it in the next movie. Like they said, oh, we've got to repeat that line because it was so famous. Or maybe do they just bring it back in the second one? Then from then on in, they're like, hey, we've added this in both movies. We need to bring this in every movie. It's kind of, it's kind of like I've got a bad feeling about this in Star Wars. I yeah, I made the exact same note. I'm like, is this the I have a bad feeling about this of 1984? But I, I think that you know, at least with Terminator people's association that line is with the Schwarzenegger accent from T2. So I feel like this was more just a throwaway thing where maybe James Cameron was thinking, you know, remember that thing that Kyle Reese said? And I doubt that anybody in 1991 was like, that's the iconic line. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of these things where it's like, it's become iconic because of this. Well, it's it's a weird thing, actually. And we'll obviously get to arguably one of the most famous movie lines in history very soon. Um, but like, they're just, it's odd how a line can become so famous in history because, you know, come with me when you live, not the most famous from, you know, the, the Terminator movies you've got, I'll be back and ask hustle a vista baby, but like, mm-hmm. I'll be back like three words. <laughs> That's become like one of the most famous. Hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger says that in everything. Like he literally says that in everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. but we'll, I mean, we'll obviously get to that, but I mean, this shootout's pretty intense, uh, you know, just mowing down with Uzis, everything going on. We sort of get, um, Kyle shooting him with a shotgun and, we see him take a few rounds of the shotgun. Again, it just goes to how cool Arnie is as a bad guy. Uh, you know, not to take away from what he will be in the next couple of films, but uh, there's just something endearing about having him as a bad guy in this first film, which maybe makes this movie, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as memorable as it is. But um, this all leads into a car chase, and this is the first time, too, we see Terminator Vision, isn't it, with his sort of the red vision of him, yeah. um, which is kind of cool, which obviously plays a little bit more of a uh, prominence in the, the later movies. But this car chase with the most 80s of music... Uh, the I can't even do it. <laughs> like it's just that yeah. techno-y sort of well, '80s techno-y mu- music. Arnie stealing the cop car, just bashing the guy's head against the door. Uh, and then this is when Reese gives a bit of explanation to Sarah that uh, he's here to help you. You've been targeted for termination, which is also a bit of a recurring uh, line in some of the movies. And this is where we learn that he's not a, a man; he's a machine. He's a cybernetic organism. Cybernetic organism. I can't hear that without hearing it in Arnie's voice. I'm a cybernetic mm-hmm. organism. Uh, the T101 model uh, and that uh, he's been sent back from the future because she's going to be the mother of uh, the guy who's leading the resistance against the machines. We also learn that um, he's got uh, human-like skin on board. Um, his exoskeleton or everything you want to call it. Um, it's just, it's, I mean, it's great to get all this backstory. It's done in a way which kind of, you want to know all this information. It's in a tense car chase. So, I mean, this whole movie kind of goes by very quickly because again, there's not a whole lot going mm-hmm. on except chase dialogue, chase dialogue, chase dialogue. Um, but I mean, I, this obviously like the whole exposition part where it's, everything's been explained. You know, he won't stop until you're dead. Um, you know, I'm here to protect you. Uh, your, your son sent me from the future, uh, the the thing that I love about this whole situation is just just imagine if this happened to you. Like some guy comes back, mm. is like, "I'm from the future. I'm here to protect you." This guy's trying to kill you. Sarah's so quick to believe this. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I feel as though there needs to be more of a "you're lying," like you're full of shit, uh, as opposed mm. to just okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is one of those movie series where we're led to believe, and this is a James Cameron thing. We talked about it in Titanic, how 
his heroes are always the heroes just because everybody else is a complete buffoon. Mm -hmm. And it's in these movies, it doesn't quite work as well because you actually would be the other characters. You would be the psychiatrist, you know, even 10 years later. It's like, sure, Sarah, a Terminator from the (laughs) future and your son's father from the future. That would be anybody. You, you, you actually side with the police officers and the psychiatrists in this movie. Yeah. I mean, particularly like, you know, uh, Judgment Day when she's in the facility and kind of you've got the psychiatrist basically saying like, oh, he's an interesting one. Believes a Terminator is after her from the future. I'm like, oh, that's original. Like, you literally mm-hmm. would think that. And that, I mean, that maybe, yeah. maybe we're just passing judgment too much on people who believe this sort of stuff. Maybe there are people legitimately locked up in these facilities who are being truthful like Sarah Connor <laughs> like yeah you know um, so there's a thought uh, but we also learn obviously that there's going to be a nuclear war the machines uh, become aware and uh, basically try to destroy humanity um, throughout this they get into a crash basically the cops show up um and uh they this is where they get um arrested isn't it uh, he, he mentions oh your son is called John and is this where Sarah's like oh guess I know what to name my son like wouldn't you hear that like <laughs> if somebody said to you right now oh you know Colin in the future your son is going to be called um I don't know Jeff Goldblum I don't know first name that came to my head <laughs> and you're like I don't like that name I'm going to call him Sam Neil like, y- <laughs> like oh yeah it might change your mind. <laughs> Like, I think yeah. it would have been funny if Carl had been like, your son, Frank Connor. Oh, I don't like that name. What about John? Yeah, what if he just lied <laughs> just to see if he could change the future? Yeah, like, what if he's like... What if... No, no, no. Here we go. What if the guy who actually sent him back was named, like, I don't know, um, Stevie Connor. <laughs> and he's like, when I go back in time, I'm just going to tell her his name's John and then I will have changed the future. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got Doc Brown showing up. It's like, no, 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 no. You can't interact with it. That's a paradox. <laughs> Just stay in your room. Just don't do anything. Erase. We need the 1.21 gigawatts to, to uh, break the titanium alloy. <laughs> Is this also where they mention the whole thing about how uh, you can't send like guns back? You can only send... Uh, yeah, living only organic. Which, again, I guess we need to talk about that the next <laughs> film, right? Uh, <laughs> because how do they send Robert Patrick back? Um, oh, I've got an even better one than that when we get to part two. Well, I'm going to say it now because I know I'll probably forget by the time we get to part two. <laughs> uh, why can't you send it? I think it was part two. It says, uh, why can't they send a bomb or something like that? It's like, too many complex moving parts. Like the inside of your body, yeah. Arnold? <laughs> Oh, that's oh no, that's when they're talking about um why can't uh why can't the T one thousand turn into a bomb? Because that's when he's saying like oh oh yeah that's- you can he can turn into solid metal objects, but he can't just turn into a bomb. So yeah, yeah. So why wouldn't they send back a Terminator that was a bomb with human flesh around well, it? I mean, this is I think uh, you know it's. Any movie series that involves time travel, there's easy things that you can easily go like, well, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Because I think it's like in every single subsequent Terminator movie, they've somehow developed the technology to create a better Terminator. Like, yeah. if this is the case, then, like, it's a movie with a future. Like, this should be happening anyway. Why don't they send the most futuristic Terminator back? You know, where's the, what's her name? Christina Loken from Terminator 3. Why isn't she back in the first movie? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why isn't Robert Patrick here? Well, <laughs> plus, and again, we'll probably mention this when we get to T2, but from the point of view of the future... 
Kyle Reese and the T-800 here get sent back the very same day that the other T-800 and the T-1000 are sent back. Mm. So why didn't they just send two T-1000s back? Very true. And like, and it's just, why do they send it back to this point in time to kill Sarah? It's, it's kind of like the Austin Powers, you know, Scotty Evil. Like, why don't you just go back in time when he's on the crapper or something like that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Scott, you just don't get it, do you? <laughs> That's where, like, legitimately go back in time and kill Sarah Connor's mum. Like, there yeah, you go. And feel that do the grandma. Like, go back and find out when a family came to America from the New World or something like that. Like, sink the boat. <laughs> like, <laughs> um. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I might uh just cab it just before the cop station. Or do we include the cop station in here? Really? I mean, we've just had a big chase. Um. So we meet Doctor Silverman for the first time who becomes a bit of an ongoing character, sort of almost a... Oh, it's, it's a joke, you would say. Uh, you see, he's not in the fourth and fifth one. He's, I've never seen the fifth one, so I don't know no. if he's in the fifth one, but he's definitely in the third, uh, and he's definitely in Ooh, the second. I can't second. remember the fifth. Yeah, I think it be it becomes a joke by the third. It's kind of just a joke cameo. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, his role in the first two is more as an antagonist than anything else. Like, he's... He, I wouldn't go as far as to call him, like, the villain... But he's he's supposed to be taken seriously in these first two movies. There's a bit when um, they they do get arrested by the cops. Uh, well, his car gets arrested and Sarah gets rescued. That uh, when Arnie's car is smashed into the wall, somehow he's managed to get out and run away. Why does he run away and hide? Like his whole purpose is to kill. He's going to mow down like thirty cops in a police station very soon. Like legitimately, couldn't he just like get out of the car and just mow down everyone right here and there? Uh, it's just it's mm-hmm. odd that he runs away. Um, they're, they're questioning Sarah about what's happening. And yeah, we meet, uh, as I said, Dr. Silverman. Um, we also get a scene here, uh, which I guess is kind of one of these graphic ones, which I remember seeing this the first time. And it's kind of a bit like, Ooh, like when Arnie's cutting his arm open, um, which mm-hmm. I mean, it's the, the practical effects here, I think look pretty decent for 1984. Yeah. Um, so, you know, him cutting his arm open is pretty like, wow. Okay. There's our first real shot of him as an actual, uh, cyborg robot. Uh, Dr. Silverman and the cops are questioning, uh, Kyle. Uh, I do like the other cop who's like in the room and he, what is he saying? Like, Oh, the crazy ones, you know, there's this guy who was fucking an Afghan or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Just like, shut up. <laughs> Uh, but Kyle just basically explaining everything, you know, I've been sent back from the future and again, no one's going to believe this. Surely, surely John would have had to sit him down and say like, okay, you're going to go back in time. You've got to protect Sarah Connor. The police will ask questions. If you get caught, they're not going to believe you. Like, I know I'm from out of town. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> do, a, do a Brendan Fraser from, you know, who from blast from the past. I'm from Alaska. <laughs> I'm here for the Olympics. Yes, well, exactly. 1984. Like, I, I'm from Kazakhstan. Uh, I'm here to try out for the Olympics. It's actually a very good point. I forgot that they were in 1984. Um, so, yeah, they're not believing him. And we also get another shot here of Arnie cutting his eye out as well, which that's the one that really makes me cringe because I always have a thing with eyes. Like, And we get sort of these are these practical effects, which, I mean... Looking at it now, yes, we can see it looks very rubbery and kind of, you know, it looks a bit bad. But I guess 1984 standards, though, this is still pretty... I feel bad for almost talking down on how this looks. Because it's going to be like at the end of the movie when we've got, um, you know, just the skeleton Terminator chasing after Sarah Connor. Like, I used to always watch this go, oh, that looks terrible. But, you know, in hindsight, 1984, like, 
it, it still looks pretty decent, I think, after, what, 35 years. Yeah. And, I, I mean, the other thing to consider is Terminator 2 kind of dwarfed this movie so much. And just like we were mentioning with the Come With Me If You Want to Live line, people probably didn't even remember that as a line from the first movie. It was only T2 that made that popular. Everybody associates T2 as the Terminator franchise that they forget that it started as a low-budget movie. I mean, by the Mm. time T2 came out seven years later, it was the most expensive movie ever made. Here, this was like very – not like super low-budget, but like modest B-movie budget. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think about what the equivalent would be today for something like this. Um, You you take like a movie like um, – we mentioned this almost every single week, but Get Out – Get Out isn't even a large budget for a horror film, and horror films are lower budget movies. You know, this this was never intended to be anything other than, oh, a couple people will see it, maybe it'll get a cult following on video. So you do have to forgive the effects and disassociate this movie from the giant blockbusters that ended up becoming the, the later ones. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um uh, Sarah's watching the video of Kyle getting interviewed when he's kind of like completely going crazy, you know, he's going to rip your head out and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then, you know, Dr. Silverman, she's like, oh, this is a really good part, you know, this, this, that. And then they're trying to basically pass off everything of like, oh, he was on PCP. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, he's wearing body armor. Um, everything in 1984 blamed on PCP. Uh, Arnie as well, after he's cutting his eye out, he's gotten his guns and he goes for a bit of a walkabout. Um, and then we get the, uh, the line, which, you know, nothing's going to happen at this point when one of the cops is basically like, lay down, sleep on this couch. You're surrounded by 30 cops in this building. You're completely safe. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, nothing's going to happen there. I might stop there cause we'll just pause just before we get to the, you know, I'll be back in the shoot X. We can probably almost lump everything towards the end there, mm-hmm. but I've covered a fair bit there, but uh, again, this movie is kind of chase dialogue, mm-hmm. chase dialogue. So go for yeah. your life. <laughs> But, like, it is good chase it dialogue. Is, it is. It's I, very I was, good. It's yeah. not bad. And as I was watching the beginning of this, like, I remember for the first third of it, you know, up until, I guess, Kyle says, come with me if you want to live, I was very much viewing this as, as this is just an 80s B sci-fi movie. And then something clicks. It's not just knowing what the franchise would later become and how great it would be, but there is something that clicks as soon as Kyle does pair up with her where it just seems a lot um, uh, more A quality than it did earlier. Because even the scene, like you mentioned about the, um, you know, the bed scene with, uh, what's her name? Um, the roommate was Ginger. Yeah, and uh, her uh, audio sexting boyfriend. <laughs> it, it all plays out like an 80s slasher movie. I mean, this is like something you'd see in Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street uh, or anything like that, Halloween and then all of a sudden when it gets to the sci-fi stuff, yeah, there's still some stuff here to criticize, but it gets quite intelligent. Uh, the action is kind of revolutionary at the time, like even just for a low budget movie. This is, people are going to hate me for mentioning this man's name, but Michael Bay, <laughs> if you go back to like his, his first two movies, Bad Boys and The Rock, he didn't have a lot of money to work with. I mean, Bad Boys was something like less than $15 million, and he made it look like a $100 million movie. And there are shots in Bad Boys where there are walls that he says, yeah, this was literally a cardboard wall that we painted. And that's how he he's like, I'm going to save my money for the car chase later on and everything else. I'm going to cut every corner I can. But it still looks like a big action movie. And even if you have Terminator is obviously on a different level. I mean, I love the first Bad Boys, different movies, but – 
James Cameron even still is on a different level from Michael Bay, but they both thought the same thing. It's like I have a low budget, but I'm gonna make it uh I'm gonna make it count in the right parts. And like the car chase we're gonna see coming up, and obviously what's gonna come later on with the police shootout, that's where he really spent his time. And it almost feels to me like the first third of the movie, he was making a, a cheap low budget movie and then he's like okay when i get here i re- really want to get the audience and he was taking as seriously as he would take making avatar now or true lies later and let's forget titanic because uh <laughs> there's other well, issues you, well, with you that. just said the words but, make it count that just reminded me of titanic to making it count i don't remember that line in titanic oh god you're not a titanic fan <laughs> oh one of the iconic lines from titanic make it count if you're a true uh, fan of titanic you know what i mean <laughs> uh also with um the after the come with me if you want to live thing when when reese is going on half of what you mentioned we just mentioned half of what you mentioned in the last 10 minutes here was all one speech that kyle reese gave in the car mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm definitely not as big of a fan as i expected to be you know going back and watch this now with michael bean uh, he's he's really awful uh and i could see a lot more criticism with james cameron's dialogue and, and there's obviously one line in here, which the majority of the exposition is done in. But you got to give it to James Cameron and even Michael Bean for being able to lay so much of this stuff out about what Terminators are, you know, what the future is in one little speech. And even Michael Bean, even though he doesn't sound very convincing, it's kind of like you've obviously watched all the making of Star Wars yeah. and everything, right, from all the DVDs. Yeah. I, one of the best stories was Mark Hamill talking about his audition. And he was saying he was reading all these lines of dialogue and he, like everybody else, was probably like, like, what is this gibberish I'm reading? (laughs) But he said, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to deliver it like this stuff makes sense to me. I'm not going to, you know, jazz it up or anything. I'm just like it's a throwaway line about uh, the rebels on Alderaan. And that's what kind of got him the part. And I'll give Michael Bean credit for that because there is no way that reading this line and I used it at the beginning uh, who writes this and who actually can read this convincingly? A Terminator is an infiltration unit, part man, part machine. Underneath, it's a hyper-alloy combat chassis, microprocessor controlled, fully armored, very tough. Outside is living human tissue, flesh, skin, hair, blood, grown for the cyborgs. Like, it's an awful string of the longest line in movie history, but at least he's reading it and delivering it like somebody who believes it it's not like he, he, as much criticism we could give for how he handles as a character handles the police station stuff later on i guess the more i'm thinking about this i can at least give him credit for being convincing in the part where him as a character he just buys this he just rattles this stuff off like oh everybody knows this you know hyper alloy chassis microprocessor <laughs> And he's not delivering it like he's talking to an audience. He's delivering it like, hey, I don't have a lot of time. This is the way I'm going to you know, uh, uh, explain it to you. But it's so much exposition and so much background that's in a very short time span. And I don't think people were ever confused about this because the, the dead giveaway when you're making a sequel that maybe you, you had too big of a universe to explain the first time around is that you have to re-explain things all over again. Seven years later – they barely re-explain what Terminators are, what the future is. Because the audience just remembered. And this, as we're going to go through the box office later on, not the huge hit that all the other Terminators are. I mean, it's probably the, the lowest grossing movie of the franchise. Even if you take, even if you add inflation in there, I guarantee this was a moderate hit. But yet everybody who saw it remembered all this stuff. 
Um, there is one other thing I want to mention about uh, Schwarzenegger, just giving him credit for his performance. Uh, I remember hearing this on uh, one of the commentaries uh, when the DVDs first came out, like years ago. And it might even be James Cameron's commentary. He was talking about something that Schwarzenegger did where he moved his head like he was a security camera. And when he's driving through the police parking garage, he's looking for her. And his head just sort of slowly turns to the left and then it stops for a few seconds and then slowly turns to the right and stops. And the way that security cameras kind mm. of scan back and forth, that's what he modeled his head turn after. And we would get something else uh, in T2 that Robert Patrick decided to do differently than that. And then when we get to T3, Kristana Loken combines both of those moves. So there's subtlety to the performance of a Terminator. And I think with all of the Terminators, I don't think you ever really fully appreciate their performance the first time you see it. And the best example of that, maybe because it's the one that uh, you know I was around to see when it first came out, was T3. And initially thinking like, man, Kristana Loken's kind of boring. And then every time I watch the movie, I'm like, there's so many little subtle things that she does that really add... <coughs> <coughs> it makes me choke it just does. how incredible she is. <laughs> so beautiful, Christina. But, oh, Christina Logan. Oh, God, that's so beautiful. <laughs> and, and Arnold. <coughs> oh, what a body. <laughs> Michael uh, Bean. Oh, wait, I'm fine. Yeah, well, <laughs> suddenly cleared up. Uh, but yeah, Schwarzenegger has those same subtleties. Uh, the way he moves his head, the way he looks at people, it's, it's, it's great. And I don't think he gets given enough credit. Uh, James Cameron gives Arnold Schwarzenegger all the credit in the world uh, for what he brought to this movie. And we know that James Cameron loves to keep all the credit for himself, but there's nobody he's ever been more complimentary towards. I think out of any movie, he had Kate Winslet in a movie that got an Oscar nomination. You know, he had Jamie Lee Curtis in uh, True Lies. He's worked with so many great actors. Sigourney Weaver in Aliens got an Oscar nomination. I've never heard James Cameron compliment an actor more on a performance than what he does with Schwarzenegger in both T1 and T2. Um, yeah, I had the same thoughts as you did with Kyle Reese. Like he, he must know uh, some etiquette. I mean, John Connor remembers the past. You could say, well, he was born after all this. So, uh, how would he know that they didn't have Terminators or that they wouldn't believe this, but like he should know there's another scene that comes up later on that shows kind of some naivete that he has, but I don't buy it in the police scene. Uh, and also just demonstrating what you were saying about how Sarah just kind of buys this. This is why, where I do think there's a flaw in, and I'll just say some inexperience in James Cameron's writing, uh, but then he has the same problems in every movie he makes, which is just his heroes are perfect because everybody else is an idiot. He's trying to lead us to believe that these police officers, how could they not believe this? But Kyle Reese does not do anything convincing. He doesn't even utter the words, I know this is hard to believe, yeah. but I'm going to explain it to you. He's like, it's a Terminator from the future, okay? <laughs> There's a nuclear war in 13 years. You're all going to die. Like, it's just, uh, he should be, it should be harder to convince these people. And it should have been harder to convince Sarah because she doesn't see, she just sort of buys this. Without seeing it, when the, the cops are explaining later, well, you know, it could have been bulletproof vest and PCP or whatever. When she meets Kyle Reese again, it's not like, I don't believe it. You know, it's like they told me this. Or or when maybe she should have had a moment of shock when he does come back in the police station later on and bullets don't hurt him. It's, th those are little things that could have been a little bit better. But again, can't be too critical. It was meant as a B movie that turned out to be something great. But you got to look at um, it just to jump in, though. Like, they could have maybe done just something to, you know, like, yeah, I get it. B movie, something great. But, like, 
different kettle of fish with Back to the Future, but I mean, you just have little subtle things like when Biff goes back to younger Biff and it's kind of like got the sports almanac and it's kind of like turns on the radio and he's like, I guarantee you such and such is going to score right now. And then, you know, even just the little joke references when Michael J. Fox, like, you know, I am Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan. Like, you know, it's just kind of things that no one would know about. Like it just, it would have been funny if they could have been able to do something like that. Is there... I feel like this was in one of the movies, but I don't remember. It might have even been in this one. I didn't note it. But is there a moment in any of these movies where somebody from the future comes back and they have a line like, John told me to tell you this because this will make – like if he had said, John told me there was only one thing that you would remember or you would believe me from because that's what you get in these futures. Somebody sends you back. John told me to tell you about the – It's in uh, this one. Doesn't he Whatever. Say, doesn't he say in this one he says like, oh, John – yeah, when they're under the bridge, he says something like, oh, John told me one thing to tell you, and it was this. Yeah, it's in this one. Yeah, I think there's something like that. But why is that in the scene under the bridge? Why wouldn't he tell her that, come with me if you want to live? And by the way, John told me this, so you got to believe me. <laughs> then she's with him for the whole movie, and we don't have to be asking the question, why isn't she asking more questions, you know? Mm. Uh, also, when you watch these movies back to like, I think one of the other reasons that I'm very forgiving of this is because you can see how James Cameron either was correcting this being a B movie to turning it into an A movie with T2 or just learning from his inexperience that Sarah doesn't have a character in this movie at all. She is so insignificant that you have to wonder why would you need to bring her back? And he made her something so uh, epic in T2 that again, like so many other things, that's what people remember. She really sucks as a character in this movie. She has no character development. She's useless. She has one moment where she fights back later on. She doesn't question anything. She's just there. She's the she's the arc in Raiders of the Lost Ark. She's just the thing people are after. Uh, and they do a much better job with her in T two, where oh, I almost feel better. like yeah. But but in a way, do you kind of look back at this the way I do, where you feel like. Oh, it was the intention to have her as this weak, vulnerable girl so that you could see how great she'd become later on. Obviously, James Cameron never had a plan for T2 to end up like that. But I kind of watch these movies now seeing almost like this was the plan for her to be such a weak character here. I think, Or is that just me? Uh, I mean, I've never really thought about it that way, to be honest. Uh, but, I mean, it makes sense. I think that definitely makes sense. Because, I mean, this is a movie where surely sequel had to be in the mind. Like, I mean, it's kind of, it's, I don't ever picture this as a movie of, oh, you know, we would never consider a sequel, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. it's going to be based on the success. And it was obviously a huge success. Well, not a huge success, but it was enough of a success that it would bring back what it did. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's great to think because that makes more sense. And then obviously when we get to Terminator 2, and I'll definitely be arguing in Terminator 2 that I feel that, Lynn Hamilton probably should have or could have gotten an Oscar nomination because she's that good yeah. in Terminator 2. Um, but, yeah, I I think that's a good way of looking at it. I think that would make a lot of sense. If it is inexperience in James Cameron's part, it didn't take him long to sort it out because, like, have you seen Aliens? No. Or have I've you never seen the Alien movies? Never seen any of the Alien movies, no. Sigourney Weaver in Aliens is basically playing Sarah Connor from T2. Like, it's the exact same character, beat for beat. Um... And that came out, what, two years after? That was the first thing he did after Terminator. So I feel like he probably, maybe after making Terminator, he had this idea. Who knows? Maybe that was sort of the idea he had for T2. You know, and then he's like, well, I'll use it for Aliens for now. Um, Also for the effects. Yeah, I mean, some of them do look dated. As I was saying, it it was low budget. But we have to give some credit here. Like Stan Winston, who did all this animatronic stuff, 
this was kind of his first big break. <laughs> I mean, he had done one major movie prior to this, which was The Thing. That is the reason James Cameron hired him, because he had just come off of The Thing that John Carpenter made. And there was some crazy you know, prosthetic and animatronic effects in that as well. But look at where Stan Winston went after this. I mean, not just the Terminator movies, but I mean, obviously the thing he's most well-known for is Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And he won so many Oscars, like for Aliens and Jurassic Park and everything else. This launched Stan Winston. So we can add that to the list of, you know, the massive stars of the future that all came off of this low-budget movie. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Cameron, Michael Bean, and Stan Winston. Uh, but they all the, started on the, here. On the flip side, I just, I've just noticed that the Terminator franchise is also a bit of a career killer uh, when it comes to people like Michael Bean, Edward Furlong, Nick Starr, um, oh. Sam Worthington, uh, J- uh, Jai Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> Jai Courtney was killed long before he was in Terminator. <laughs> Even the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, I mean, who plays yeah. John Connor in that? Thomas Decker, the Thomas Decker. Um, you know, at least <laughs> Lena Headley, Hetty went hey. on to, you know, uh, Game of Thrones, you know. You know what? Casper uh, is a very big fan of Thomas Decker since he took on the role of Fievel the Mouse in the American <laughs> Tale straight to video sequels. <laughs> Casper's but, favorite movie but, franchise. But, but, I mean, at least, like, Michael Bean seems to hang on to a little bit of that fame, right? Edward Furlong, famous for just being a drug-addicted whatever he is. When was the last time the Nick word? Well, I was about to say, when was the last time Nick Stahl was ever mentioned in history? Like, <laughs> what has and he done? You know There's a, I'm really excited to get to T3 because, as you say, like you could make an argument for Linda Hamilton to get an Oscar nomination for T2. There are moments where Nick Stahl and T3, I'm like, if this were not a Terminator movie, if this were just a performance in some indie drama. That guy deserves an Oscar. He is such an incredible actor. And obviously he's had his own similar problems to Edward Furlong, um, which also derailed his career. But yeah, like, is Jason Clark going to be the guy who, you know, comes oh, I like Jason un- Clark. <laughs> oh, I mean, how can you not love Jason Clark? But I mean, even Christian Bale. Yeah. He was playing John Connor, and the biggest controversy of his career was during the making of Terminator. So, yeah, maybe there is a Terminator curse. Can we just play that uh, on that episode? <laughs> I love that clip of him just yelling at people. It's going to be your fuck? opening quote, isn't it? Fucking get out of the shot! What the fuck are you doing? In <laughs> uh, still in his American accent, too. Can we just point that out? Like, still in character. Hey, like, uh, this is a Welsh guy. Uh, well, how good is Christian like that. <laughs> yeah, because like his big breakthrough as, as an adult was American Psycho. And I remember watching the special features on the American Psycho DVD, and he would do all the interviews on set in the American accent of American Psycho. So I think he's one of these guys who just slips into an accent. He's like, I'm going to stay in it the whole time I'm making the movie. Yeah, that that's where like I just I never realized he was not American until he won the Oscar. Because uh, you know, I think I'd seen interviews with him and he had the American accent. So, yeah. Um, what? What Did, other keep going. I, I was inter- interrupted you there. Keep going. Yep. Uh, when he's doing his arm repair and his eye repair, like uh, they're effective scenes, whether the effects don't hold up or not, uh, because it is the first time we get to see a Terminator, and it, you just had this guy explain living tissue or whatever, and now you get to see it. It also just gives you a little bit of a tease of you know the the endoskeleton we're going to get later on. But that scene, there's something that bothers me because he sneaks in through a window, I think, to get into this hotel. It's not like he checked in the front desk and then the guy comes and knocks on the door. Like, that, that, that guy should be like, this room is empty. Why is he even knocking on the door? I love that guy. Appropriate response. What does he say? Like, fuck off, asshole, or something like yeah. that. 
And do you know what's even better about that scene? Is that when Schwarzenegger gets up and leaves again through the window, he pulls his guns out from under the mattress. Yeah. So he sneaks into a hotel room, hides his guns under the mattress for what reason? <laughs> He's a Terminator. <laughs> like, I don't want anybody knowing there's guns in here. <laughs> there's laws against that. It's against hotel policy. <laughs> yeah. No smoking, um, no dogs, no guns. Uh, also, um, the... Uh, the, the the line that they have about well I think this was what the psychiatrist was making fun of him about saying some sort of retroactive abortion right <laughs> I love the way that the doctor Silverman just sort of humors the people he's talking to the the retroactive abortion line is great but when Kyle Reese is talking about this is one of these little lines that when you pay attention to the movie you realize that like uh, how much they actually set up in the future because let's not forget. Until we saw Terminator Salvation, everybody said, the movie I really want to see is the war in the future. Yeah. And we get so few glimpses of it. Most of what we got to be excited about for the the actual machine war later on was just dialogue. Like when they're talking about, you know, uh, why do you have to send them back or whatever? And they said something about how the de- they destroyed our defense grid. So suddenly you realize this isn't just, well, we need to stop John Connor from being killed before he's born it's like we were at the point where we just basically lost the war this is like you know the russians are coming they're basically hey hitler you better lock yourself away they're gonna be here anytime (laughs) now they know they're right at the end they're like we don't have a way to fight back at this point so it gave the humans more purpose and all that stuff i'm like that's why i wanted to see that future war so much until terminator salvation came out because there's so much dialogue of these little lines where you, you can visualize what's happening in this war before you ever saw it in Salvation. And that's why I think I may be a bit partial to Salvation is because I feel, yeah, it's just that build-up. We've had three movies where you finally want to see it, and you see it. Mm. So, um, yeah, and of course when you know you do see it, and particularly when you see like all the skulls on the ground, I mean, that's obviously very coarse and rough and irritating. They probably do get everywhere <laughs> as well. So, uh, you know, you know what they're, they're like about skulls. Um, you, know, <laughs> you think Anakin hates sand? Um, <laughs> Wait till you hear what he feels about skulls. I know. <laughs> I don't like skulls. Um, <laughs> I hate them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> and not just the male skulls, but the women and the children's skulls too. It's all Obi Wan's fault. <laughs> How are we going to get through that movie? Uh, <laughs> it's so much fun. I'm haunted by the skulls that you said I couldn't have. <laughs> it's okay. We have R2 with us. <laughs> Um, so, uh, maybe we get to arguably one of the most famous moments in all of movies. Uh, Arnie shows up to the station. Um, I'm a friend of Sarah Connor's. Can I see her, please? Uh, And I do also like the bit where he just kind of walks past, uh, Dr. Silverman as well. So it's kind of like, he doesn't really see him, does he, Dr. Silverman? But also I should mention that since he's cut his eye out, he's got the sunglasses on. So we've kind of got this bit of an iconic, you know, sunglasses look with a leather jacket, which I think gets a little bit more iconic in the next film. But uh, this cop at the front desk just filling out paperwork. No, you can't see. Take a seat. Blah, blah, blah. So Arnie has a bit of a glance at the uh, the walls, has a look around. 
zooms, basically the camera almost zooms in on his face, to which he goes, I'll be back. Now, you know a movie line is famous when it has its own Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, and mm. I'll be back has its own Wikipedia page. Do you have the count of how many times he's uttered that in movies? Well, yes. Um, so they have here variations. Variations of the line has been used by Schwarzenegger in a number of other films. So in each of the Terminator films, uh, he says, I'll be back in the Terminator. Stay here. I'll be back in Terminator 2. In Rise of the Machine, she says, she'll be back. Uh, Salvation, he says, I'll be back. Oh, no, sorry, John Connor says that, I should say. Uh, And in Genesis, he says, I'll be back. And in other films, it's got a list here. So in Commando, he says, I'll be back, Bennett. In Raw Deal, he says, I'll be right back. In The Running Man, Killian, I'll be back. Twins, if you're lying to me, I'll be back. Total Recall, I'll be back. Uh, That's actually said by Quaid, not by Arnie. Kindergarten Cop, I'm back. Last Action Hero, well, we've already talked about that one, when he said, I'll be back, ha, you didn't know I'm going to say that to you, you always say that. Uh, In Junior, uh, he says, it's nice to be back. In Eraser, he says, uh, uh, I'll be right out. (laughs) That's apparently the same. Jingle all the way, I'll be back with the door later. (laughs) The sixth day, uh, I might be back, to which, of course, the assistant goes, oh, you'll be back. And in The Expendables 2, he says, I'm back. Um, so yeah, there's a lot there, but I mean, it's, it was voted as the 37th best one liner, uh, from the American film Institute's hundred years, hundred movie quotes, uh, on his, um, concrete signature in front of the Chinese theater in Los Angeles. Uh, he's underneath it says, I'll be back. Uh, I remember there was a, one of the Grand Prix. they used to, for a while there, they got celebrities up on the podium to interview the drivers after the race. And it was a year that I got to see Arnold Schwarzenegger when I was at the Grand Prix. Um, I didn't get to interview him, but he was right in front of me. Uh, and then when he did the interviews on the podium, he jokingly said to Lewis Hamilton, I'll be back. So, like, he just, it didn't he use it in many of his, when he was a governor as well? Like, he just uses yeah. it all the time. <laughs> I, I, I also remember, we got to throw these out there in case we forget later, but when he was running for governor, how every single thing he said was like um, uh, lines from his movies. Because they'd be like, I'm going to give the uh, the opposition total recall. <laughs> <laughs> things wouldn't even make sense for him. I am going to be the eraser to their legacy. I'm going to make my opponent jingle all the way. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, this is the I'll... thing with Arnie, though. And I think we've mentioned it a few times. Like, I, I just love the way he does play up to these sort of things. Because there was a while yeah. there when I think when he first started getting Twitter, people would just constantly, you know, tweet him, say this, say this. So he would legitimately just put a video on his Twitter of him just saying one of his lines. Like he's, he posted a video of him going, put that cookie down now. Like, and he just plays up to it. And this is why Arnie's so I great. the dinosaurs. <laughs> the ice age. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's how is it that three simple words of I'll be back have begun, gone on to be so iconic because it's just the most simple it, of lines. Is it the accent? Like, could we be today talking about, I don't like sand, it's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> Maybe it's the accent, I don't know. It's just it's just such a weird thing to think that this is so famous. Um, and I mean, even in the next movie, like, I, I, we'll get to that in Terminator 2, like, do they deliberately go out of their way to use Hasta La Vista, baby, to try and create another one-liner? 
Um, but I mean, you know, that that would arguably maybe be his second most iconic uh, one-liner. But just, just I'll be back. It just he literally looks at this cop. I'll be back. Like you wonder if the the guy playing this cop at the the desk knew that he would be part of movie history. <laughs> a simple little moment here of Arnold Schwarzenegger uttering three simple words. And I love the fact on the Wikipedia page, um, it says that he Arnold actually tried to change the line because he could not pronounce Arl. Like, he could not pronounce that word. Um, he also felt that the robotic character would not speak in contractions and that the Terminator would be more declarative. Uh, and Arnie wanted to make it, I will be back. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. So Arnie apparently changed it, uh, tried it so many times to eventually he use it. Like, just crazy to think that we could have had, I will be back. Not the same. You know what's really interesting about this line? Because we're talking a lot about how the legacy of T2 has made people look back on this movie. I I almost want to say more fondly than they should, but this movie wasn't as uh, important to the Terminator universe as T2 was. Uh, the best example being the uh, Come With Me If You Want to Live line, which I think is so insignificant here, and people probably didn't even recognize it when T2 came out. I'll be back's the opposite. If there is one thing that this movie did better than anything else, you rattled off every single time he uttered the line, I'll be back. They all feel like they are just paying homage to this. This line works in just this movie, and I can see why it's iconic. If I went into a theater... In 1984, at the age of three years old, (laughs) and saw this movie, or at any age, if I saw this for the first time, I didn't know who Schwarzenegger was, didn't know anything about Terminator, and I'm watching Terminator 1 for the first time. You've seen this guy who's barely spoken so far. He barely gives the camera a glance, and he's like, I'm a friend of Sarah Connors. And then all of a sudden, the guy, oh, visiting, oh, I don't know, not visiting, visiting hours are over here at the police station. (laughs) But, uh... But he says he just sort of looks around and then goes, I'll be back. It's such a cool line, but it's also kind of funny. The line just works on every level where I don't think he could have never uttered this line again. And I think people still would be talking about just Terminator 1, the I'll be back moment. Because it's because the audience already knows what he's going to do when he comes back. And then just the explosion as he drives in the police station. It's just it's a perfect line. Yeah, I don't want to sound like in this I'm talking down Terminator 1 because in some ways I do feel like the movie is – I don't want – I keep correcting myself. I don't want to say overrated but maybe uh, there's a bit of you know a, a revisionist look at Terminator where the, it's, it's not quite as good on its own without the sequels that followed. But this line in this moment, it is. I get why this is iconic. I think a lot of the time, too, people, I guess, probably have such a fond look at this because they, yeah, they don't like the sequels after Terminator 2 so much. I mean, we're legitimately about to have, uh, the, what, the sixth film in the franchise all but ignore 3, 4, and 5. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if only we could do that with The Last Jedi. Um, but <laughs> it's it's odd because, like, again, as we said at the beginning of this episode, it's like it's this is one that we don't generally go back and watch that often, but it's kind of it's, it's there. So, again, like The Last Jedi, like, I only will watch it because it's there. Like, Moonraker, I'll only watch it if I'm watching them in order. <laughs> like, I'll have to watch Moonraker. Um, so, yes, after the I'll be back line, though, he drives through the door. 
Uh, as only he would. I, I do kind of like the way they sort of edit this over, just this guy filling in the form and the way they like zoom up on him writing in the piece of paper. Just, you know, it's it's just kind of clever the way they do it, then just smashes in the shocked look on the guy's face, like, what? <laughs> like, dri- <laughs> driving through the door. Um, we see Sarah, like, wake up on the couch, and then just Arnie comes in and mows down cops. And I think in Terminator 2, we find out that he kills, like, 17 cops here or something like that. Mm-hmm. I do I do love these sort of scenes when you randomly hear just, like, the cops, the dialogue in the background. There's a cop who goes, Is that a terrorist? He's got automatic weapons! <laughs> <laughs> Even in 1984, terrorism was a thing. <laughs> Um, what, what do we have a year later? You know, at Twin Pines Mall, we had the um, yeah, <laughs> Libyan <laughs> terrorists, the, the Libyans. That's right, the Libyans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Art, you, you know, the Libyans saw this on the news and were like, "Hey, <laughs> I know what to do." Um, so yeah, Arnie basically mows down a bunch of cops. Our two cops that we kind of remember their names are are dead. Um. Arnie turns off the power. Kyle escapes with uh, Sarah. Uh, we have yet another car chase. Um, well, not really. They kind of escape and then they change. Uh, they hide under a bridge for the night because their car's out of petrol. And, uh, you know, chase dialogue, chase dialogue. They're under this bridge. Um, and I-, I love the fact that she's like shivering, like really shivering. And Kyrie's is like, are you cold? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just scared. Sorry, body temperature is body temperature is different for us in the future. My apologies. You know, with a nuclear winter, like you know, yeah. <laughs> no such thing as cold. Um, so he's been shot, and then she wants to learn more about her son. Again, she's just you know quick to believe this. Tell me about my son. And this is you know when we learn how great of a person John Connor is. You know, Kyle says I would die for John Connor. Um, and then of course you know just a few little lines here about who the father is like wouldn't this be the first thing if you find out you've got a son in the future like right now if i was single let's be honest probably by the time this is released i will be it's me um <laughs> and if somebody comes back from the future and says, like, ben you're gonna have a son like the first thing well, who, who's the mum? like you know she seems so calm like oh well, i'm gonna have a son tell me about the father oh no actually no don't he never talks about the father okay don't tell me anymore um yeah. do you do you think kyle knew that he was gonna go back and bone um, no. Well, no. I think he had his plan because he's been fondling her picture for who knows how many years. <laughs> he probably had plans. I don't think he would know. My my real question is like, how much of an age difference is there between John Connor and Kyle Reese? Mm. You know, does Kyle Reese know who his dad is? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it. So, like, this was 1984. So, what? John's 10 in Terminator 2, and that's what? He was born in 85, that movie set in 95, so, and what, 2029, so that would make him, what, 44? John Connor? So... It's possible, it's completely plausible. Yeah. We know that at least Edward Furlong's got some kids out there he doesn't know of, so... (laughs) What if... (laughs) What if Kyle Reese's dad is John Connor, and then Kyle Reese is John Connor's dad? Yeah. Does wow. he know? I'm I'm like I'm feeling like Austin Powers. Oh no, I've gone cross eyed. <laughs> That's the plot of Dark Fate that they're keeping so tight. Yes. <laughs> they keep it very close in these families, you know, that is bone yeah. each other. It's kinda of like the Lion King, you know, there's only Scar and Mufasa. There's only two dads there, so like, you know, they're just slutting around with all the women, so um But 
yeah, and then this is where Kyle's like, you know, I wanted to go back and meet the legend that is Sarah Connor. Uh, and I do kind of like Linda Hamilton here, though. Just you know, the way she's like, do I look like the mother of the future? Um, and you know, just all these little incidents where it's like, you know, you must survive, or the, or I'll never exist, and all these sort of things. It's kind of like, is it like Back to the Future though? Like, if all of a sudden Sarah dies, like, does Kyle just disappear? Like, does he just yeah. erased from existence? Um, <laughs> because like, joke or you will about he never would have been sent back. Well, there you go, exactly. But, like, Lost kind of, I think, explains it well And like, when, you know, Miles and Hurley are having, like, arguments about time travel and kind of, like, Miles is trying to basically explain, like, well, no, you're here now, so this is your life, so even if you don't exist, like, it's just it's just the oddities of time travel. Um, there's all Plus, those questions. There's a... I read about it. I, I haven't seen it, but there's apparently an alternate ending that was shot for T2 where uh, it flashed forward to the future and John Connor's an adult and Sarah's, like, Judgment Day never happened. But the problem is, is that if they stop Judgment Day, John Connor ceases to exist because he only exists because of the war in the future yeah. and Kyrie being sent back in time. So why is Sarah trying to stop Judgment Day even into T two, which would erase her son from existence? Yeah, exactly. That's that's a very good point. So yeah, um, but maybe maybe John Connor isn't uh, fathered by Kyle Reese. Maybe it is the boyfriend or whatever the ditches are at the beginning. And what if this is just a big ruse, like, by John Connor? Like, he's just got a bit of a high opinion on himself. He's just a millennial. Like, you know, he's like, he's, yeah. a, he's an influencer on, like, Instagram. So he's all like, oh, fuck, we've invented time travel. Cool. Um, pretend I'm, like, a big deal in the future. Let's get one of those Terminator <laughs> things and, like, send it back and pretend to kill. But, like, that may I'm, like, really cool. Um, and that will stop my mum from being, like, you know, a drug addict or something like that. Like, give a hope for the future. Like... <laughs> Just yeah, John in the Connor future, the John dick. Connor just work. John Connor just works at like a call center for Cybidine yeah. or something like that. <laughs> hey, we discovered this time travel thing. Want to play with it a little? <laughs> it's in a DeLorean. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Sarah's field dressing her uh, Kyle's wound and tell me more about the future. Um, but again, like, doesn't John Connor explain to Kyle about the dangers of you must never learn too much about your own future? <laughs> like, it's kind of. Did they know they hadn't seen Back to the Future? Well, they, I mean, John Connor would have seen Back to the Future. That would have existed in 1985, like a year later, like after this movie. So, like John Connor also <laughs> does he he does he know that Kyle Reese is his dad? Ever I can't. We'll have to. He does. We'll I visit think. that when we see. I think he does. Yeah. I okay. So mentioned. So like, how awkward is that for him? He's like, go back in time and <sighs> bone my mom. I don't know. <laughs> Here's a picture. I don't know how you feel about this woman. If she's not attractive to you. Just go for it anyways, okay? Just grit your teeth, strip it off, <laughs> bear wild down, the, and give the it, shit out of her. Give it to her good, okay? <laughs> give it to her good enough to spawn a savior for the human race. He's like, wanna... but, but she's hideous. I don't care. I want you to bone my mom as hard as you can. I want it to be angry. I want it to be intense. Because when I'm born, I need to. I need to want to be tough. And if you do it slowly, I'm not going to be tough. I'm going to be a weak little pussy. All right, you pound the shit out of my mum. Plow and if you ever Jesus, make your way, no, man. <laughs> if you ever make your way back to the future, I had better see bite marks on that thing, buddy. <laughs> I want it. I want a borderline. A police report will be filed. Like there's bruises. I want questions asked by your friends. And how does John know that she's going to go for it? Listen, 
If she's not into you, you just got to go for it anyways, okay? Consent is not a thing in this situation. I'm not ready to die for this. 1984, Me Too wasn't a thing yet. You're okay. Just go for it. Plow my mother. <laughs> Mr. Plow, that's your name. That name again is Mr. Plow, okay? And what if he, like, you know, was just a bit dumb, so he just, like, had sex with every Sarah Connor? So, like... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why he gave him the picture. <laughs> but, I mean, what if he just... Generic walked... white like, let's... woman, like... <laughs> <laughs> what if he went in and started... <laughs> What if he started plowing ginger? Because he was just <laughs> Take it, ginger! Uh, take it, Sarah! It's not Sarah, it's ginger! You're Sarah tonight! I'm nearly finished! There's like 20 John Connors running around in the future. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing too, like, the Terminator, okay, like, you know, I get it, he kills, like, that's scary, but... Couldn't he just be like, I'm going to make it so you can't conceive babies in the future. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tie your tubes. <laughs> what if what if Arnie went back and is the one who invented the condom just <laughs> as a way to create safe sex for the future and no unwanted pregnancies? A, a permanent female condom inside um, yeah. Sarah Connor. <laughs> you may like, have sex still, but not the babies. You know what the easiest thing for him to do is? Is just go back in time, crush up a bunch of birth control pills, <laughs> slip it into whatever she's eating in that 450 cover chars bar. <laughs> oh, it's always about murder with these robots, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's a simpler way to do things. God, think about things, Terminators. Um, so... Just call my mom already! <laughs> Bend her over! Slip her one! Uh... Come on. Look at Arnold Schwarzenegger and look at Michael Bean. Should the machines not have just said, you go back and you plow that woman first, okay? <laughs> but even, even then sending Kyle Reese back, like, you know, Michael Bean, not a bad-looking rooster. Like, what if they just sent someone back like me or something like that? Like, you know, oh, <laughs> the only person available is this fat, ugly dude. Oh, that'll do. I mean, John Connor handpicked him. He had to guarantee his mother was going to want to bang this guy. Like, did he look around as like... All right, I need a female opinion here. Which one of these guys you want to have sex with? <laughs> oh, God. Because um, we don't... Oh, no, we do learn that she, like, spoiler alert, she dies in the third one without seeing her. But um, do we learn how she died? She gets cancer, doesn't she? Uh, I can't remember. I think, yeah, I think they mentioned she gets cancer or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, talk to me. Talk to me more about the future so we get another vision of the future. And this is where we learn about the dogs uh, are being used um, as sort of a, a barking mechanism when a Terminator shows up. Um, but we also get the future of our kids watching TV. They're watching a burnt-out wreckage of a TV with a flame in it. <laughs> uh, I want to watch the flame. No, I want to watch the flame. Um, oh, rerun flame. <laughs> seen this flame before. Um, <laughs> get swept by the avalanche. Uh, well, not swept. We did win the game. Um, but oh, Ben jokes funny. Um, <laughs> people, people like three months from now are gonna be like, "What are they talking about?" <laughs> the new season started, Ben. What are you on about? <laughs> um, so yeah, they wake up and they go. They leave. They're gonna go get a hotel. Um, Arnie is back at Sarah's apartment and looking through and uh, f- uh 
find... No, he's not back at Sarah's. Is he back at Sarah's apartment? Because he's looking at the... Um, finding out about his mother, his, uh, Sarah's mother, uh, I think. I don't remember where they go. Oh, no, because he, he took, he took uh, her planner. Uh, that's right. So he's still in the hotel room. And this is where we get the knock on the door and the response of, fuck you, asshole. Um, mm. So that's where this bit is. Uh, Sarah and Kyle get a hotel. Um, meanwhile, Kyle goes off to get supplies. And Sarah's speaking to her mum. But, of course, it's actually Arnie. And she gives in and tells her where she is. And this is... Is this the first time we actually learn that the Terminators can replicate voices? Um, yeah. So that's kind of a cool little trait. But we never... I mean, we, I guess we just assume that Sarah's mum's been killed, right? We, we don't actually see a body. So um, I do like it when Kyle comes back from the grocery store. And she's like, oh, what's for dinner? And it's just all like, what, bombs and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 1984, could you just walk into a store like this and buy things that clearly are suspicious? Like, can I have some of these charges? Well, can I have some metal piping? I mean, was MacGyver a thing yet? They may not be suspicious <laughs> until MacGyver comes out. True, very true. Um, so she learns how to make bombs. So this is, you know, a bit of training for her in the future. Uh, which, you know, is great. And then this basically all leads us to the conception of John Connor. Uh, um, mm. I mean, there's there's a bit of dialogue here where we find out that poor Kyle Reese is a virgin, never had a girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why John Connor has purely gotten to send him back. Like, which one of you soldiers is a virgin? Me, me, well, can I bone your mother? But doesn't that make him the, the person you least want to send back? I mean, what if he's gay? <laughs> Imagine if that, imagine if like John Connor fucked up. Go on, Kyle. Go on, plow my mother. Oh, d- does she have a male friend? What? I'm gay, John. Oh, oh shit. Like, don't you want a guy who you could at least guarantee knows where to put it? I mean, <laughs> this guy's inexperienced. And he's going to be done in like 10 seconds. Like this love scene that we're going to get in a moment. It's false advertising. Like, it's, it's legitimately false advertising. They're going for, like, you know, like, how long is their love theme? And then, like, it's all like, oh, it's so romantic. Yeah, plow my mother. Plow her. Plow the shit out of my mother. Like, he's done. He's done in 10 seconds. This guy's a virgin. He's, like, what, in his 30s, his 40s? Like, come on now. Like, you know, he's blowing Very that true. pretty quickly. Um, But, yes... And and clearly John's a uh, sorry Carl's a boob man because you know in this whole sex scene he's grabbing her boobs. Uh, we get a bit of Linda, Linda Linda Hamilton nipple action. That's always a positive. Um, <laughs> Even though she's an old lady <laughs> and Michael Bean uh, nipple action. I'm being you know uh, equal opportunity perv here. Um, I've written here piano theme sex boobs. Uh, <laughs> yep, that that's how it gets explained. That better be in the keywords on IMDb. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're all happy and flirty in the morning, but then there's a dog barking outside the hotel room because Arnie's taking his time to get to this hotel. <laughs> like, he shows yeah. up and uh, starts just plowing down everyone, and we get into a, another car. Plowing? Well, he's doing it too. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Come with me if you want to live, literally. Um <laughs> Starts uh, shooting the shit out of this hotel room And uh, they're driving I do love, uh, you know, drive faster This is such a great line, isn't it, in movies Like, drive faster, okay 
Like, at what point? Like, I can't. It's a Geo. <laughs> What's it in the next movie? This is a vehicle's top speed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do love the music. That dun 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 dun. Like it's just this tense techno eighties music. Um, gets ran. Arnie's on a motorbike here. Uh, they go through a tunnel. Uh, they're sh- they're throwing uh, explosives back at uh, Arnie as he's driving on there. Kyle gets shot. Oh no, not Kyle! I mean, you've done your job, mate. You've plowed the mother. So, like, you know, like you're you're expendable now. Um, there's a there's a big crash. The the car crashes. Arnie gets run over by a truck before he uh he steals. I this is this almost becomes a bit of a line too because I know that Robert Patrick says it in the helicopter in the next movie. The get out. Um, yeah. Does that get uttered in every movie, or is that just in the first two? Well, I know from the first two for sure. I don't know if it's in the others. Possible. We'll keep an eye on that. So, Arnie, oh, is, the is, there, is there get out uh, Wikipedia? <laughs> well, I mean, it did get nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, right? Yeah. But um, <laughs> so Arnie driving this truck now, chasing after them. And again, this is where we learn that. I mean, as you mentioned before, it's 1984. It is an Olympic year in Los Angeles. And this is where we learn that maybe Linda Hamilton should be on the track team because she can somehow outrun a semi-trailer coming out to her at full speed. <laughs> and also, Kyle Reese, the guy sent back in time to protect and plow Sarah Connor, just willy-nillingly puts an explosive in a petrol tanker that is driving full speed towards Sarah Connor without any... You know, warning to Sarah of, get away, like, don't do this. And to steal a line from the uh, Everything Wrong With series, Sarah Connor goes to the Prometheus school of running away from things as she just runs in a straight line. She could easily go to the left or to the right. And this explosion is so big that Kyle is further away from this tanker in a skip bin than Sarah is in front of it running away. But the explosion moves the skip bin... And catches fire, yet Sarah's fine. Sarah's just around the corner. I'm sorry, Sarah's dead right now. Like, they've just destroyed the future. Um, we do see Arnie, though, burning. Uh, this, this is your favourite scene in the movie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> A man literally having the skin burnt off his bones right now. Uh, it's a bit of a red herring, though. We think he's dead. This is kind of a trope in all the Terminator films, isn't it? That we think they're dead, but they're going to come back very shortly. Um, and Kyle comes up to Sarah. Oh, it's a relief. He's fine. We're all safe. Uh, nobody is around, apparently, in this uh, village or wherever they are in Los Angeles. That this massive semi-tanker has just exploded. Uh, and no one's around to hear this. Um, so, yep, we think it's all over. Kyle's okay. They kiss... Apparently they're in love after one night. Jesus, has Sarah had sex before? Like if she falls in love <laughs> after one night? But uh, through the wreckage, what happens? Uh-oh, the Terminator is still around. And this is the first time we get to see the the full skeleton of the Terminator. Uh, which again, I used to always look at this film and go, holy crap, that looks really bad. But I think kind of watching this, again, I appreciate this for the fact that this is 1984. And it looks pretty okay for 1984. Uh, when when did um Return of the Jedi came out? What a year after this wasn't it? Eighty five, eighty three. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the um, what's the name of the? You know when Luke gets put down in the the basement from Jabba and attacks the thing, the oh the alien, Rancor, the Rancor, right? I always look at that and think that looks a bit bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I mean this looks better than the Rancor, <laughs> so yeah. 
I, I shouldn't shouldn't judge it that badly. But um, this leads us to a big chase through this uh, random building, whatever this building is. Um, Kyle ends up getting killed, sad, and Sarah escapes from the the Terminator only to uh, crush it. Basically, I, I know I'm rushing through this a lot, but uh, basically utters a line: "You're terminated, fucker." Uh, and then gets crushed, um, and the eye go- turns out, like, this is kind of the, the trope we'll also get. You know the Terminator's dead when the eye fades to black, and, uh, yeah, this is it. She thinks she stopped the future from happening, um, and we hear an ambulance finally sharp at this point, and then we see pregnant Sarah in the future driving through Mexico, uh, on a tape recorder, probably Ginger's old tape recorder. She went back there and uh, stole it back off her. She's in a gas station in Mexico, basically leaving tapes for John in the future. And this is where we had a little kid taking the photo of her and uh, the photo that obviously Kyle will have in the future. Swindles her out of some money. Um, what does the kid say? <laughs> like, if you don't give, give me, me five dollars, or my dad will beat me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the eighties! Such a, an yeah. innocent time. <laughs> Um, and then we end it with, you know, oh, there's a storm coming, and oh, you have no idea, or I know, whatever she says. Drives off <laughs> in the clouds. <laughs> so, I mean, look, I've rushed through that closing. I'm not trying to take away from it. It's a pretty standard closing. There's nothing too epic about it. I mean, it's, it's, we're going to get a very similar one in Terminator 2, but obviously Terminator 2 is going to be a bit more emotional. Um, but, yeah, I, again, I feel bad forever going off at these special effects because I'm, I'm sort of just even watching it right now and it's it's not that bad. It's clever camera work, I think. You only see the full Terminator a couple of times. It's it's mainly mm-hmm. zoom-ins of the, the top half of it and obviously, you know, that's going to be some good puppetry work with Stan Winston and kind of just the upper half of the torso and then the head going from left to right as well. So I think it's very clever how they do it to create that tension. And I think it goes back to your point about it sort of just being a slasher film as well, kind of, you know... Mm-hmm the way it works. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great ending. It's, it's, I feel like I've rushed through it, but at the same time, I think I've covered it well. Uh, before I, um, go through any of that stuff, there's, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, there's a name that gets thrown out in the end credits. that says special thanks to, or something like special consultant, Harlan Ellison. Mm -hmm. And I never noticed it before. So I Googled it. And realize that this is some guy that I guess wrote a short story mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. And he found out about this movie and that there were some similarities to a short story. So he basically threatened a lawsuit and they, they paid him off and said, we'll make you consult or whatever it was. Um, everything you read about that story, it, it, it basically comes down to this guy... I guess makes a career out of this. Oh, somebody ripped something off from one of my short stories. Let me try to sue them. And it doesn't seem to be a lot of similarities at all, but of all the things that James Cameron was accused of stealing, all the things that James Cameron has admitted to stealing for the Terminator movies, the most obvious one is the one that never really gets mentioned. And that's Westworld. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, but you're familiar with the TV show Westworld. That's Michael Crichton, right? Didn't he? Yeah. Is that the one he mm-hmm. wrote? Yeah, I've, I've never seen it. I'm familiar with it. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know much more about the fact that I know I mean, it's a show written by Michael Crichton. Well, a book well, written by most, Michael Crichton. <laughs> it wasn't even a book, actually. So he was already writing books, and he wanted to get into movie making. So he wrote a script and directed uh, the movie as a way to – not to get out of novels, but to kind of um, – create a bridge to Hollywood 
And the original Westworld, it's, you could basically consider it a cross between Terminator and Jurassic Park. It's you know a future where people go to an amusement park that's basically a Western-styled town, but all the people you encounter are just androids. They're complete, like the Terminator, completely lifelike. There's a glitch in one, and it starts killing the people in the park, uh, very similar to Jurassic Park. But the the gunslinger that Yul Brenner plays in um, the the Westworld movie from the 70s, it's almost identical down to the red eyes that the Terminator has. And if you ever watch Westworld, like the, when I eventually did see because I was a big, obviously, Michael Crichton fan, not just from Jurassic Park, but even some of his other novels. So I got the Westworld movie, and I'm like, wow, this is just Terminator. And there's some clever videos you can find on the internet where they did mashups of scenes from Terminator and Westworld to kind of make it look like it's the same movie. It really is astounding how much James Cameron ripped off of Westworld, and yet he didn't get sued by Michael Crichton. Uh, <laughs> there's probably a, a, a better case to be made than this Harlan Ellison. Because Michael now. Crichton was a nice man. He was, yes. He wouldn't be going back to plow anybody's mom. <laughs> no, he'd be plowing <laughs> his own wife to make her a mum. <laughs> I think he'd be. You, you don't go around lifting up the skirts yeah. to find out who's worthy of plowing, okay? Because life uh, finds a way. Finds a way. <laughs> yeah. oh, can we figure out how Jeff Goldblum would deliver? I don't like sand. It's cor- uh, I don't like sand. It's coarse and it's uh, it's rough uh, and it's, it's, it's irritating it's and, and, and it yeah. gets everywhere. <laughs> but uh, 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 there it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I'll uh be back. I'll be back. <laughs> Christopher Walken. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. You know what's hilarious is that um obviously you weren't on our Jungle Book episode, but just um you know having him. I want to be like you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just Christopher Walken. What a man. Um. So yeah, I guess getting into the the last stuff of the movie here, uh, for whatever reason, I always remembered the scene under the bridge because I saw this, as I said, when I was a kid when I probably shouldn't have been watching it. And then years later, I saw it again. Uh, but I always remembered a couple of things. I remembered the police station shootout, the I'll be back thing, uh, which uh, I guess going back to that really quickly – perfect example of why i see this as like an el mariachi type movie low budget because it's not just the fact that it's really good action considering how low the budget is like a lot of the explosions and everything you can tell they were just coming up with creative ideas on how to make this movie look bigger than it was uh and that sequence is so intense and this is that big difference between the first third of the movie that just feels like a typical b-movie sci-fi horror whatever slasher movie no different than any of the garbage that was out of the time and then suddenly becomes this great movie because it's just how intense and frightening frighteningly violent that scene is and and, and when we get the terminator later on it'll be kind of a similar reaction i had uh but yeah the bridge scene was the other thing i always remembered about this i remember the terminator clawing at her in the factory i remember the bridge under the bridge scene and then i remembered the police shootout um but there is a a moment in here where uh, i i kind of wish that you know we could have a, a, everything wrong with. I don't. Maybe they did make one for you. I haven't seen as many of that as you have. Uh, it's the part where she's tell me about my son. He goes, the first thing out of his mouth is, well, he's about my height. <laughs> and like, <laughs> what if the next is like similar face, similar build, blood type? <laughs> Hold on, wait a second. <laughs> I know why he sent me back here to plow you. <laughs> 
Like, doesn't he get it? Does he see similarities? I mean, mm. you'd be hard pressed to find, you know, a father and son who don't look alike. Even if you look more like your mother's side of the family, you're going to have similarities. John should be looking at him, or, or Kyle, I guess, should be looking at John, being like, maybe he's a distant cousin or something. I don't know. And right here, it should all be clicking for him when he says he's about my height and just so but, on, but so even, on. Even after they have sex, shouldn't there be like a moment from Sarah Connor where it's like, wait a minute. We didn't yeah. use a condom. Or, when did you say John was born? Him. Wait a minute. <laughs> this was all your plan, wasn't it? You dirty bugger. And if Kyle doesn't know this, is he jeopardizing the future? What if, for all he knows, the father of John Connor was going to have sex with Sarah two days after this? Yes. And now he's just knocked her up early. <laughs> going to be on Jerry Springer. Who's the father? Yeah. Or was it <laughs> Maury? That was the one who did it, right? Wasn't it Maury Poppit? Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, I do find it really cheesy, the, the love theme being played as a love theme. But that's one of those other things that T2 has made us look at this movie differently. Because that theme, it's the opening theme of T2. It's used in all the other movies as kind of this tragic, you know, uh, dramatic action uh, theme. Da-da-da-da. And hearing it here on the piano, like you said, what was it? Piano, boob, sexy time, or whatever you put. <laughs> it feels so out of place. And yet this is the proper context. This is what they meant the theme to be used for. And now I'm just, I'm laughing when I'm seeing this scene because the, the, the music just doesn't sound right. Um, and then the whole end, it really just kind of abruptly cuts into the end. I feel like if this was T2, there would be a lot more happening between, you know, them at the hotel or whatever and uh, the, the big chase scene at the end. But just sort of happens. But that's another one of those examples of great action on a low budget. And then once it gets to the point where, you know, they're pulled under the truck and everything and then he comes out, it actually plays very frightening. I think if you can get past the effects not looking the way they look in the future movies, it's a really frightening scene. And that's the one thing, if anything, that James Cameron lost even in T2. And I understand the reason for it is that although it was an R-rated movie, he was going for a blockbuster feel. He wanted something that was a summer blockbuster that would be fun. Young people would even enjoy it. That's why he cast you know a younger lead character with uh, you know Edward Furlong. But like this was meant to be a horror movie that was a sci-fi horror movie, and the entire end here plays like you said, like a slasher movie. The way that it's clawing its way towards her, uh, it's burned, and you're seeing the skeleton. Like it's like watching a, um, an Evil Dead movie or something. Uh, and also another thing, just to look at the impact of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is in part just how famous he is now, but even I, even knowing that, I watched this movie, and which is why I had moments like just seeing, oh, it's just a cheesy B-movie early on, disconnected from the others. It's really fun to watch an original movie in a franchise and imagine that you didn't know what happened in the others. And some of the stuff comes out of the good, some of it does, you know, comes out of a bad, but the star power of Arnold Schwarzenegger is so clear because he really is in an, a very – minor amount of scenes compared to Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton in this movie. He has very little dialogue and the entire last 10 minutes of the movie, he's off camera. Hmm. Uh, he's not even there. I mean, he's not only off camera, he's, he's not even on screen and it's just a puppet and it's just animatronics. Uh, and you know, credit to Stan Winston, even though the effects, obviously the budget wouldn't allow for what we would see in T2, but the design 
of the T-800 or the endoskeleton is so strong that they, they basically have never altered it to this day. And even when T, um, T4 uh, Salvation came out, you know, the poster was basically the machine. And that's what we always get in these movies. Is that, and, and no matter how many times you'll get a T-1000, a TX, uh, a T, uh, Sam Worthington, <laughs> whatever he was supposed to be, uh, that classic Terminator design is basically unchanged. The effects operating it are different, but the design is the same. And total credit to Stan Winston. He created one of the most iconic designs on a low budget and nobody's ever even thought about changing. It's like C-3PO. You don't want to change how cheap C-3PO looks or R2-D2 because that's it's not just you grew up loving it. It's such a good design and it's scary looking. And I kind of like this movie for being different from the others, from being more of a horror movie because everything we get from T2 on, it is just a big action blockbuster. And that's why it, it always bothered me when people complained that Salvation was going to be PG-13 or I... I, I I think T3 was still R-rated, but yeah, Salvation would be PG-13, and they're like, well, that's, you know, it's not going to be any good because it's not R-rated. I mean, R ratings today are completely different than they were then. This movie, T2 is tame compared to this. It's a very violent movie. It's a very scary movie, and the whole ending still kind of gives me chills thinking about this because you put yourself in her position of being chased by this mechanical arm, and I think people had seen outside of Westworld, they'd never seen, like, a killer robot like this before mm. uh, that looked like a skeleton. And maybe the reason this plays so much like a horror movie or like something like evil dead or a slasher movie is because he's filming it like it would be those movies. But we're used to seeing a zombie corpse here, like night of the living dead or something like that. And yeah, night of the living dead, even better comparison. This is like night of the living dead, dawn of the dead or whatever, uh, except seeing this metallic skeleton. is just something different. Yeah. And I don't know if any movie has ever sort of topped uh, uh, this great blend of sci-fi and horror. So if there's one legacy, I think that, you know, this movie really holds that it will never be topped, even though in so many ways T2 is better. And even in some ways T3 is better. It's just that perfect blend of sci-fi horror. Cause I can't think of any other movie that uh, hits that mark as well as Terminator one did. I remember uh, there was a store back in Hobart. that was kind of like a, I think it was a model store. But um, they had uh, life-size replicas of various movie props characters. So they had a life-size uh, Terminator, uh, like, mm. thing that you could buy. It was like $1,000. Like, I, I always wanted it, and, you know, I was with Louise at the time. And, oh, no, you can't have that. But they also had a life-size Stormtrooper, similar to what, uh, I don't know if you watch How I Met Your Mother, but Barney Simpson had a life-size Stormtrooper. But they also had a life-size Jar Jar Binks. Michael B. No, Ma- oh. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Um, which you can tell that had been sitting there since 1999. Um, yeah. but <laughs> I would totally, totally buy that. I, I, we both sort of said, you know, our fandom for Terminator is not at the level of Star Wars. We're not so devoted to it. We, we love the movies. Uh, we'll see a new movie if it comes out, unless it's Terminator Genesis, in which case you avoided it and you were the smart one. But <laughs> if I had to choose between having a giant life-size Stormtrooper or a giant life-size T-800, maybe the design of the T-800 I would lean towards. Mm. Like, I think that looks cooler than even a Stormtrooper. And, and obviously, I'm 10 times a Star Wars fan as I am Terminator. But it looks so iconic and so cool. I, I would be the same, I think. Because, like, if I see a life-size Stormtrooper, I just want to dress up as a Stormtrooper. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas, like, a, a, you can't really dress up as a, you know, a, a Terminator. 
Um, so yeah, I, I would be the same. I think that would just be such a cool prop to have in your house, like mm. giant, scary looking Terminator like that. So, um, yeah, uh, it, I, I mean, I don't even know if that store exists anymore. That was probably a good 10 years ago. I saw that, but yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's the film. We've done that. So, uh, I guess in terms of, uh, our housekeeping matters at the end, the reviews of this film at the time were, uh, non-existent because I apparently have lost the screen. No, there they are. <laughs> Any professional podcast would edit that out, but no, um, Variety praised the film, calling it a blazing comic book full of virtuoso movie making, terrific momentum, solid performances and a compelling story. Schwarzenegger is perfectly cast in a machine-like portrayal that requires only a few lines of dialogue. Richard Corliss of Time Magazine said the film has plenty of tech noir savvy to keep infidels. Terrorists was a really big thing back then. And action fans yeah. satisfied. Time placed The Terminator in its 10 best list for 1984. There you go. Los Angeles Time called it a cracking thrill of a, all sorts of gory treats loaded with fuel-injected chase scenes, clever special effects, and sly humour. Was there humour in this film? Um... <laughs> Uh, so pretty much it was, um, fairly well received, uh, a in entertainment weekly, New York times gave it a B movie with flair. Much of it has suspense and personality and only the obligatory mayhem becomes dull. There is far too much of the latter in the form of car chases, messy shootouts, shootouts, and Mr. Schwarzenegger's slamming brutality into anything that gets in his way. Um, eh, I wouldn't say that. Um, and obviously in terms of, uh, there's, there's a legacy section on the Terminator. Uh, so I mean, it's been, it's been ranked in many best of lists of all time. Um, 42nd on the AFI's hundred years, hundred thrills, um, list. Uh, the Terminator was selected as in the, this Terminator, the 22nd greatest movie villain on AFI's 100 years of hundred vil- heroes and villains. And I believe he, uh, the Terminator is the only character that appears on both the heroes and villains list. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Terminator 2. And, yeah, plenty of oh, other ones. Man. <laughs> uh, Empire named it one of the 500 greatest movies of all time. The T-800 was 14th on their list of 100 greatest movie characters. And in 2008, the Library of Congress um, deemed this film culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and selected it for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. That, I'm hoping, will happen to kill Phil one day, and I'm sure it will. Yeah. Um, so... Is it kind of wrong, though, that Michael Bean is preserved in the National Registry? <laughs> so if aliens invade in, like, a hundred years' time and destroy the Earth and they look through all these things, like, who is this Michael Bean? Um, so, yes, and box office-wise, um, I mean, you look at this now and you think to yourself, Jesus, this didn't make much money, but it had a budget of $6.4 million, which, not a lot. I mean, 1984... Obviously, excuse me, I'm burping halfway through talking. How unprofessional. <laughs> um, again, would edit that out, but apparently I didn't. Um, $38 million it made in 1984. Foreign of uh, $40 million. So $78 million worldwide this made, um, which, again, doesn't really sound a lot and is the lowest ranking in the Terminator films. But it did open at number one on October 26, 28 weekend in 1984. It made $4 million on its opening weekend, just outgrossing... Terror in the Isles, uh, which oh. made $20,000 less, as well as Body Double. Uh, now, we talked a lot about um, movies in our, in what, 1994, in our anniversary month, about how good they were. 
just going to go through these lists here of some of these movies. Tell me if you've heard of any of these. Places in the Heart, Thief of Hearts, Teachers, Firstborn, American Dreamer, The Little Drummer Girl, um, the all-female reboot of the Christmas classic, apparently, All of Me, A Soldier Story, The Razor's Edge. Uh, well, I mean, you've probably heard of a little film called Ghostbusters, and you've probably heard of a little film oh, called yeah. Amadeus. Uh, but have you heard of The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai? Yes! Uh, really? It's, it's No, no joke. It's one of these like cult classic movies from the 80s. Completely insane movie. Wow, never heard of it. Um, it was the 21st highest rating movie of 1984. Now, I will give you lots of props without looking. Can you tell me any of the top five rate or any of the top ten 1984 highest grossing films? Uh, Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters. Yes. yes. Um, oh, what else was in there? I'm, I doubt Almadeus was in there. Uh, was there oh, a Rocky movie that year? No, that was 82. Not in the top ten, at least. No. Um, is it just a two-movie year, Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters? <laughs> well, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was third. Oh, Gre- Temple of Doom, yeah. Gremlins. Gremlins. Karate Kid, followed by Police Academy, oh, Foot- Footloose, um, Romancing the Stone, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and Splash, at number 10. Purple Rain, just missed out on the top 10. Uh, it's a pretty oh, big year. Other great films, uh, Amadeus, we mentioned, Revenge of the Nerds came out, the original Red Dawn. Uh, Friday the 13th, final chapter. June, uh, The Gods Must Be Crazy. Cannibal Run 2. Pinocchio, reissue. Uh, Jungle Ooh. Book, reissue. Um, <laughs> 16 Candles came out in 1984. Hey. Never Ending Story, yep. that only made $20 million. Wow. <laughs> Hot Dog, the movie. <laughs> there you um. go. Funny story, I have a connection to Pinocchio's re-release, which I, I don't know if it was 84, it may have been a year or two after that, but you the were first conceived. movie I ever... No, that was The Empire Strikes Back, but we'll get to that in a few months. Um, I, I, we were living like on a farm two hours outside of you know Winnipeg. Uh, we didn't have indoor plumbing, we had you know an outhouse, uh, we had a well, like totally disconnected from society. Uh, we had a TV that was black and white because my dad was cheap, and he would commute two hours into the day and two hours home. And when he was home on a weekend, he came up with a plan. We're going to go into the city this weekend, and we're going to go see Pinocchio in the theater. Uh, now, I was too young to understand what a movie theater was because I had never seen you know, a, a TV that wasn't black and white probably at this point. But uh, uh, 1984, that would have been the year. And my mom tried to explain to me what it was. Like, it's like a TV, but it's big and it's like you're really there. And I must have missed the word like. And so I knew the movie Pinocchio and started imagining, you know, when the bad guys come up, you know, can you just make sure they don't touch me? And I remember having a nightmare the night before about sitting in a big room with a giant screen, but it was like them coming up. It's like, hey, let's get this kid here. Wow. That I was love how you. Can you? I, I was just going to say, I love how you paint this picture of your childhood. Like, you know, I lived on a farm. We didn't have color TV. Like, Dad drove two hours to work. Like, just stop trying to sell it. Oh, that's your childhood. Comp. That's Canada in the 80s. Like, I mean, that was... <laughs> you You lived in, like, Toronto. Like, you know, like, I mean... Canada didn't catch up to the rest of the world till like, 1992. So... <laughs> I, we're still like that now. Yeah. Dog sled to school. Uh, <laughs> one thing I wanted to add, I did find the adjusted uh, box office. This is actually really surprising. Um... So you take Terminator, $38 million or whatever, in 1984. 
It's the equivalent of $102 million today. So I don't know what movies this year have made just barely cracked $100 million, but that'll give us an idea of you know, how big Terminator would be if it was released today. Uh, but Terminator Genesis made $98 million, million. So adjusted for inflation, Genesis actually made even less than the original Terminator. And the original Terminator, as we said, not a huge hit. Well, that's saying something, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, plot just keywords? looking at $100 million. Hold on, I just wanted to look at it. Basically, the identical gross, $102 million, is what Dumbo has made so far. Um, not Hellboy. If we're looking... Not Hellboy, no. <laughs> uh, if we're looking at last year, $102 million would have placed this at the number 31 gross in the year, which was the Equalizer 2. So hmm. that one comes up a lot. Okay, there you go. I'm actually just looking at this. Um, I haven't looked at many of the the how much movies have made this year, to be honest. And to date this, given that you know when we're recording this, comparing to release this, obviously by the time we release this, you know, Endgame's probably gone on to make like fifteen billion dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, Captain Marvel's cracked the billion mark. I did not realize that. Jesus, why? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> a Shazam's not made much. Oh, that's a travesty. Go stop seeing Captain it. Marvel and go see Shazam. It's made what, like three hundred million dollars worldwide? It's only made one hundred and twenty-two domestically. That's not much. Well, it's been out for three weeks. <laughs> well, make more, and you just really dated our episode now. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to this in yeah, September. Like say, <laughs> last night, when the Flames lost in the first round of the NHL playoffs, probably in like the time we're recording this. Like, let's be honest. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger is probably dead. Cool. Linda Hamilton's probably yeah. become president. Um, what the Leafs now that we're the Leafs fans. winning the Stanley Cup was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what a win! <laughs> um, so keywords: uh, motel, male frontal nudity. That's obviously um, Jamie's favourite. Yep. Um, hydraulic press month. There we go. <laughs> Technology gone amok month. Oh, this one should be interesting. Uh, featuring The Matrix, Blade Runner. Terminator 2 and The Terminator. That's a good month. Um, what else is there? Crush to Death month. Kiss <laughs> month. Uh, the Terminator character month. <laughs> oh, we just did it. We did. Oh, we've already completed it. Um, okay, I love the fact that the top five is featured all the Terminator movies. Number six, Encino Man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Slender Legs Month, coming soon to the Oz Network, featuring Bohemian Rhapsody, Deadpool 2, Venom, and Ready Player One. Ooh. I mean, this yeah. is that, that's Michael Bean's one there, right? The Slender Legs? Woman Wears a Bathrobe Month, coming soon. <laughs> the Fifth Element, The Shape of Water, The Hangover, and The Terminator. That's a good month. Um... Mm-hmm. There's uh, Pigsty Month, Prequel Month, Prequel? Prego Month, Slender Attractive Woman Month, Nude Male <laughs> Silhouette Month, um, Woman Arching Her Back Month. Oh, go. let's go with that one. What? What's Okay, The Terminator, The Dive from Clawson's Pier. Oh, it's got Michelle Trachtenberg in it. I'll watch that. Um, that's it. There's only two. <laughs> that's a very <laughs> short month. <laughs> We'll save that for Smarch. Oh, hang on a minute. No, found it. Lifting someone into the air month. Uh, <laughs> Dirty Dancing's on there. Oh, God. No, it's not in the top four. Thank God. Um, oh. 
Pet Cemetery number one, Titanic number two, Justice League number three, and The Nun number four. <laughs> uh, Dirty Dancing is not even. Uh, it's not in the top twenty. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is on this list, and I haven't even got to Dirty Dancing yet. That was the first movie that came to my mind too when I saw this. I'm into the top forty. Jurassic World is number forty. Um, Dirty Dancing is not in the top fifty. There's 637 wow. titles on this list. So, <laughs> uh, do you have any there, or? Uh, I can't even pull it up right now. Famous opening theme month. Now, Star Wars has to be number one here, right? Superman. Friends is number one. Fair enough. Doctor <laughs> Who, Family Guy, and House. What's the theme for what? House? <laughs> Our house in the middle of the street. <laughs> Uh, what are we doing with this movie? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I've been more critical than I intended to be. Because uh, I, I honestly do believe that this movie is slightly overrated. Um, when you view it outside of the Terminator 2, it's it's okay. But there really is so much great stuff in here. And I think just you do have to kind of consider the fact that it was so low budget. It was not intended to be as good as it was. And then you see how well it turned out. I mean, I, I'm still going to buy this movie. Uh, now, having said that, if I go back and do a Terminator rewatch, I'm I'm probably going to be okay with just starting at T2, which may say more to how much I love T2, but it could also just be that I don't consider this like essential viewing. But for what it is... It really is remarkable what James Cameron is able to pull off uh, in a small movie like this and what he was able to do just for almost creating a new genre. So it's definitely still buy-worthy. I, I agree. I think, you know, we, and we will obviously put these in order. We do this in all these sort of months. Um, so, you know, and I would say probably by the end of the five weeks, at least just off the top of my head right now, I would probably put this right now second last. I mean, I'm obviously assuming I'm going to hate Terminator Genesis. I don't know. <laughs> I like Spider-Man 3. Um, but... <laughs> At the end of the day, like I, I don't think there's really anything wrong with this movie that mm-hmm. deems it anything more than a less than a buy because I think you still enjoy this film, and it's you know chase dialogue, chase dialogue, but it's still entertaining. You're not bored in this movie, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously Terminator Two is a masterpiece. I feel that you and I are going to defend Terminator Three a lot more than the credit it gets. And then there's Terminator 4 and 5, which, again, I liked Terminator 4. I haven't seen number 5 yet. So um, it's going to be an interesting few weeks, to say the least, I guess. But Terminator 2, Judgment Day, um, look, it's one of the greatest movies ever made, possibly the greatest sequel ever made. Uh, It's just groundbreaking on so many levels. Uh, I think we need to spend two good hours saying why, A, Linda Hamilton should have got an Oscar nomination. And coming off the back of Black Panther as an Academy Award-nominated film for Best Picture, this movie should have been nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. I mean, come on. In hindsight, any movie fan who comes out and defends Black Panther getting nominated for Best Picture, even you would obviously put up, like, Bohemian Rhapsody being nominated. I mean, different genre of film, but... I mean, if The Dark Knight misses out and people complain, the Terminator 2 Judgment Day is is a film that should have been nominated. Just... Words cannot express how amazing this film really is, and I'm very much looking forward to talking about it. it. You know, nowadays, every time there's a sequel that just completely blows away the original, they'll say, it's the Dark Knight of the franchise. Like, that's what we got with Mission Impossible Fall. They said, this is the Dark Knight of the Mission Impossible movies. 
people have to remember that when the Dark Knight came out, it was this is the Terminator 2 of the Batman movies. Uh, <laughs> this this was the greatest. I mean, you'd put this up there, I guess, with the Godfather 2 as considered Empire the greatest back. sequel of all time. Empire, those three. I think it was even one of the Scream movies. They had this this talk about no sequels ever better than the original. And they basically brought up three movies like Empire Strikes Back, Terminator 2, Godfather 2, you know, uh, and it is in a weird way, kind of a masterpiece, even outside of his genre. Like, I don't disagree with you. I'm not one who believes that a lot of action blockbusters should be nominated for Best Picture just because a blockbuster, you know, almost by definition is just kind of your run-of-the-mill movie. This is what we it, – it's a movie made just to please audiences. It's not made with any type of depth or anything like that. This is a really deep movie, and it's extremely intelligent, and it's so well done – uh, and it's so powerful at times, too. And, you know, as much as we're critical of Michael Bean, I mean, there isn't a bad actor in Terminator 2. Aside from just Linda Hamilton, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger gives probably the performance of his career here. Edward Furlong really is fantastic in it. And, and come on, Joe Morton. I mean, mm. small role he has in this movie, but still, I remember, every single time I see Joe Morton, I just remember, like, his death scene in Terminator 2. I'm so excited. This is one of those, like, diehard movies where it's like, I can't wait that we actually finally get to talk about Terminator 2. Xander Berkeley's in this movie. Uh, <laughs> Xander Berkeley, yes. Um, and like, I, I was weirdly watching this film. You mentioned about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, there might even be a case that we could put in that Arnie could have gotten nominated. Um, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching that a little bit. But Maybe. <laughs> if, he, if there was any movie that you could say Arnold Schwarzenegger could have got an Oscar nomination for, it's this film. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, like, or Junior. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> is I mean, is this the only Arnie movie that legitimately will make you cry? Like, I mean, yeah. I now know why you cry. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, so good. So yeah, Terminator Two, Judgment Day next week. You know you love it. If I want to find out from anybody listening to these, I, I I've never met a person who doesn't like Terminator Two. It's it's just the universally loved movie. So. I would like to meet someone who doesn't and tell you why you're an idiot, basically. Um, in the meantime, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We're only a couple of weeks now, at least um, when releasing this, away from also our parallel month of Star Wars coming soon. Like, can you get excited for that? Because we're maybe more excited for that than we are for Terminator 2. But uh, that's only a couple of weeks away as well, of course. So are our, our Lost episodes and Third Watch episodes are happening alongside all our other ones that we put out during the week. You can stay up to date with everything via our Facebook page, Twitter. Just search for the Oz Network on both. Remember our website, theoznetwork.net, where you can find all the episodes on there as well. And while you're on iTunes and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, subscribing to our podcast, why not leave us some feedback? Because if you leave us feedback, it helps these episodes get out there more, and then more people listen to it than the one that already does. So we would appreciate that very much. So uh, this has been The Terminator. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Ben, and don't make me bust you up, man! And my name is Colin, and I need you to go back to serve, to protect, and to plow my mom good. Thank you for listening to The Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.